We're on the air live, so to speak. This is station 109.1 at the end of your radio dial for spirits at the end of their ropes. I made that up. <laughs> We're here to help. Don't roam the earth forever. It's time to move on to the next life. <laughs> Don't give me no lip. You want an allowance? You earn it, gut buckets. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast, where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. I'm Andrew. And I'm Brett. And this is episode 210. We're talking the tale of dark music versus the tale of Station 109.1. Mm, a classic. Yeah. I've been waiting a long time for this one, because I remember when I first met you guys, I've been like throwing some ideas your way and i keep mentioning dark music or 109.1 but it's nice that we finally got to you know put do a two for one kind of deal here and uh talk about both of them yeah yeah it seems like both episodes have been floating around we i think you know i i think so andrew which one are you arguing for uh 109.1 and i'll be arguing for dark music and i think legitimately like we both probably prefer those episodes right yeah I think yeah. so. Um, yeah. But, uh, it, but it does feel like a great match. I like when after I watched them, I was like, I'm not sure if totally thematically they match, but regardless, they are. It's like two titans. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. feels exciting. Like, For sure. <laughs> yeah. It'll make it all the more juicier when you guys uh, go back and forth. <laughs> uh, I did recognize <laughs> that intro. Oh, yeah. um, big character from your episode <laughs> you yeah, yeah i should um i should mention he kind of has a fan lore to him because uh a few of the people in the Ari for the dark community who keep in touch with me uh even though in the credits he's referred to as mr coda aka coda's um father uh yeah. we like to call him hulk hoagie because when he's <laughs> like talking to coda that's like his only appearance in uh, dark music he's yeah. pretty much eating yeah. a big fat hoagie and like chewing pieces at him and his hair just is like long and blonde just like hulk hogan so we're yeah like, what does coda's dad do is he like an amateur wrestler by night or something and it just kind of stuck when we talked about it more and more and i even made a sticker out of him which was pretty popular uh-huh. <laughs> yeah he's got the beetlejuice pants on yep exactly <laughs> got the look yeah. going early 90s yeah don't give me no lip um yeah poor poor coda we'll we'll get into it but uh um yeah two great episodes now brett uh of course you've been doing amazing artwork both personally for yourself uh for for all Mm -hmm. sorts of projects you have your unofficial are you afraid of the dark book which is that still available or is the the kind of the lid on that um well it's in terms of like the kickstarter that's that's done closed all set and um i'm currently having plans to release it to retail and i'm like 98% 98% there. I just have to send the manuscript to my publisher. The problem is, you know, all of us are like in full force getting ready for spooky season with all of our projects. 
and that right. just keeps pushing it down the road a little bit further. So once I kind of get an opening to catch my breath, I got to make a few changes and then send it right off, and then the whole world will get to enjoy it. Right on. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And um, on top of that, of course, you've done a bunch of Podtober uh, artwork. Is this? I believe this is your first Podtober episode. Uh, I believe so. Like one that I'm, I'm guest starring on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I've um, been doing Podtober art for three years now, which is wild to think now. about because it feels like <laughs> I just met you guys yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. The time flies. We're, we're excited to have you on and, and one that I think is, you know, verses are always fun to me. Oh yeah. You know, I would always recommend someone check out a verses if they ask like what's some of the good stuff, but, um, yeah, this was a great suggestion, and uh, you know, we're we're just really happy you're here with us. Yeah, um, likewise. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, because this is your first guest spot on a Podtober episode, right out the gate, we need to ask you, Candy Corn? <laughs> How did I know this was going to come up? <laughs> uh, every year, I bet. Um, well... I have an interesting story behind that that I actually shared uh, with some other people the other night, and it goes like this. So I was really big into Halloween when I was a kid growing up, as I'm sure many of all you 90s Nickelodeon fans are. And for some reason, I was like very impulsive when it came to eating candy. Um, like after I got my, my stash collected after trick-or-treating and like um, just trying to go through it uh, and, you know, throughout November, December, whatever, just to get through it all. Um, I, <laughs> it was like, I eat one and then I eat another one. And then pretty, pretty soon I'm just eating like the whole bag. And so my parents had to take it away from me. And I remember this one, one house gave me like a huge bag, like a full size bag of Brock's candy corn. And I remember really liking that sweet honey kind of taste of that. So, mm. you know, I was, I was a little bit mischievous and, broke into my parents closet and grabbed that bag finished it within like five minutes and then about 10 minutes later i threw it all up so <laughs> after that i was like well guess i'm not gonna eat this again and since then i've only eat like very small handfuls of it and now it's now i'm at the point where i, I i'm just like okay it's there i'm not gonna go near it in like the pharmacy <laughs> <laughs> in the pharmacy <laughs> Okay, so so you were you were pretty excited about it initially, but you've kind of cooled on it. Yeah, I don't care much for it anymore. I, I understand why people like it because it was addictingly good at the time. Yeah, it's a complicated relationship. Yeah, with candy corn. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, I'm still an addict, folks, as people out there know. Um, I just I love the diversity of opinion on candy corn. It's been uh it's been the gift that keeps giving. We got a whole right. new tale here. I mean, we've never talked to anybody who's made it who who it's made them physically ill. So that's yeah. Add that to the camera. Breaking the ground. So as Andrew mentioned, we're talking um, the tale of dark music versus the tale of Station One Hundred Nine Point One. Um, dark music is a first season episode, episode eleven. Um, and Station 109.1 is a Season 5 episode, uh, Episode 3. So, um, you know, kind of tail ends of the original run, but uh, both related, I think, kind of in their uh, greatness, but also related <laughs> in the music aspect. Um, you know, I think, Andrew, your episode is 
uh, remembered in some ways as being the the Ryan Gosling uh, episode. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I, I you would don't think, think so? I mean, I always remembered it as the Gilbert Gottfried episode. <laughs> well, sure. You know, the, for those who know, they know. But <laughs> I think, yeah, you're right. As kids, it was definitely the Gilbert Gottfried episode. And I feel like over time, yeah. it's become like, oh, it's the one Ryan Gosling's in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like to think of it as like a two for one deal. So like if you're looking at videotapes in like a blockbuster or something of like individual, are you afraid of the dark tales? It'd be like one of those little starburst advertisements printed on the case that says now with Ryan Gosling and Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes exactly. All the better. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then my episode, I think is just remember, uh, remembered for, you know, being great. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I think there's one, I won't spoil it, but I think there's one image from yours that is oh. a defining <laughs> image you know above all else i'm, I'm curious what that'll be <laughs> yeah i mean i think if it's the thing i'm thinking of it was pretty heavily used in commercials yes andrew yeah 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 okay well we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about it when we get there um okay. andrew do you want to go over the categories sure we're going to be talking about the stories the scariness of the episodes the characters um the i'm going to call it the audio gimmick um yeah. You know, it's use of music or uh, the audio yeah, thing. Like radio. Um, or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Midnight Society, of course. Of course. My favorite. Yeah. It's my it's really on our Are You Afraid of the Dark um, versus episodes, which we've done a bunch now. Um, this is my favorite category. The, the Midnight yeah, Society. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Like the equalizer or something, like every time. It seems almost yes, almost every episode it's been the deciding category. Um, Oh wow! So, uh, you know, who knows what will happen here? But um, either way, it's just really fun to argue about those segments for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, Um, pick them apart. Yeah. Uh, So that's the layout. Um, Are you guys ready for some verses? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we should probably start with story, uh, so everybody can kind of get their bearings here, assuming not everybody's rewatched these. Um, Andrew, do you want to start us out? Sure. Um, to recap mine, uh, after a scary match of capture the flag in a graveyard, Chris has become obsessed with death. It's all he ever thinks about and is driving his family crazy. I wonder if anyone was ever buried alive. Imagine being in the coffin, having dirt dot on top. <clears throat> Past the grave? Uh, I mean, the gravy. So when a hearse gets dropped off at his brother Jamie's repair shop, the older boy gets an idea to snap Chris out of it. Locking Chris inside as he plays dead in the back of the vehicle, Jamie rigs the hearse the hearse's electronics to go off. But just as it seems the prank is over, the hearse tunes into a radio station past the end of the dial. (laughs) And Chris overhears a strange broadcast for the dimensionally challenged. 
Chris utilizes the power of the World Wide Web to search for the station, but it doesn't seem to exist. All he can find is a physical address. When he gets there, Roy the maniacal DJ accuses him of being dead and sentences him to cross over to the next life. Chris escapes but discovers he can no longer interact with the living. He walks through his kitchen door to find himself back at the radio station, where he sends out a broadcast to Jamie through his favorite radio show. Once Jamie puts the pieces together, he drives to the station to save Chris, but Roy doesn't believe that Chris is still alive and has him thrown through the door to the next life. Fortunately, Chris is rejected and spit back out, and he trades places with the guy who's really supposed to be dead. After that, Chris stops obsessing over death and turns his eye toward life instead. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah as Joe said, this is uh, a favorite of mine. Um, and although Gilbert Gottfried, I think, is like a big draw, um, I really just like the way this story plays out. It's um, unlike uh, many other are you afraid of the dark episodes? Like it feels like a very um, unique one. Um, the beginning, I don't feel like almost plays out like uh, for a few minutes, like a scary version of hard days, Pete uh, with Chris tracking down, discovering and tracking down the radio station. Um, I think the episode is perfectly paced. Uh, there really wasn't a dull moment in rewatching this. Um, felt like there was a constant sense of tension and dread for Chris, uh, especially after he got to the radio station. Um, and the story is really well woven together. I felt like, um, the, especially like, and I'm kind of a stickler for details in these episodes. And in this one, I felt like everything served a purpose. Uh, the Clark and Ryan radio show, as an example, um, like the first couple of times it was mentioned, I found myself thinking, what's with this Clark and Ryan show? Like, this is very weird. <laughs> and and uh, I was pleasantly uh, surprised for it to come back around in the end and like serve a purpose in the story um, by giving Chris like uh, a way to locate his brother because he knew he'd be listening to that show. It's the Clark and Ryan show. Hey, Clark. Hey, Ryan. Well, I'm answering you. Jamie, Jamie, this is Chris. Man, I hope you're listening to this. I'm trapped at the radio station. They think I'm dead, and they're gonna make me go to the afterlife. Say what? This isn't a joke. They think I'm some guy named Carpenter. Daniel Carpenter. You gotta help me, Jamie. I've already been home once, but you couldn't see me. Okay, nice try. I'm not falling for it. Um, the, uh, the introduction and, um, and other appearances of the want, what I'm going to call the wandering dead uh, was great. It was like a, a very creepy characters, but um, the way they were introduced was just like bizarre and you don't know exactly what's going on at first. And I don't know. Could, it, the, I feel like the episode kind of gives you a chance to put things together for yourself. Um, oh, I also was really surprised by uh, ple again pleasantly surprised by like the pr the idea of the prank from earlier in earlier in the episode coming back in the form of Jamie not believing that uh his that he's hearing his brother on the radio like he thought that whole thing was a prank so i just you know just a little detail that um may get skipped over 
um, in other episodes. Um, and uh, I really liked <laughs> the addition of uh, the bug that at one point Chris has in a bottle. And at first he's watching it, like waiting for it to die. And then at the end of the episode, he decides to let it loose. Um, so that was pretty good. Uh, also, this episode has great dialogue. Um, the uh, Gilbert Gottfried's first appearance explaining to Chris that it's a line of people. Uh, very funny. Um, mentioning that he used to work at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, spirits at the end of their rope. Your numbers up. Um, there's just like he's just has all these really great kind of um, capper lines that lead into the next scenes. Um, and I thought uh, the episode has a pretty good use of humor. I mean, I think it's very funny, especially with Gilbert Gottfried. But um, I don't think it ever really detracts from the tension of the episode. Um, and finally the ending when the real dead guy daniel carpenter passes on to the next life i felt like he's just really unusually powerful for an are you afraid of the dark episode mm. um, look you take the bracelet off your wrist put it on his wrist we'll forget this whole thing ever happened <laughs> aren't you afraid it'll be horrible It's only horrible if you've led a bad life. If you led a good life, it's the best thing going. And the way it is, uh, the way Gilbert Gottfried says it, it's just really, just sort of moving, unusually. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think this is definitely in the top or top tier episodes, um, and I. Uh, story-wise this one's pretty tight cool yeah um yeah yeah this one was very memorable for me among the season five episodes that i remember watching um i do agree with the pacing in terms of it's it always feels like there's something constantly happening and everything is uh used with intention in terms of the plot so i i appreciate that there's no like dull moments where you're like okay come on let's go get let's get through this already and um I, I really think that even if uh, Gilbert Gottfried and Ryan Gosling are in the episode, it doesn't their star power doesn't detract from the story itself or even the the characters. So I do I do appreciate how it's able to like keep things moving and also be at like an even even like energy level. So it's not too much in your face or like too withdrawn for uh, when you're like going through the story. Yeah. Well, I hate it, and I've always hated it. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, really? Let's hear yep. about that. <laughs> I got to, and I got pl- to play the game here. Uh, no, so um, for dark music, just to kind of remind people. Um, so our main character here is Andy Carr. Uh, he's down on his luck. His parents are kind of newly divorced. His mom is struggling with work, and his little sister is a jerk face. Andy Carr wasn't doing so hot. His folks got divorced, and his mom wasn't making much money. He tried to help her as best he could, like with his paper route. It gave him money to buy lunch at school. Things were pretty tough. Then one day, it looked like his luck changed. His mom inherited a big old house from some uncle she could hardly remember. Just like that, 
didn't cost her a dime. It was kind of old, but a lot better than the puny apartment they lived in. It really looked like the car's luck was changing. Except there are two kinds of luck, and you don't always get the kind you want. Andy gets a job delivering newspapers and quickly discovers the town bully, a kid named Coda, uh, one of the greatest characters in Are You Afraid of the Dark History. Um, <laughs> Coda wants to beat Andy's guts. Uh, at the same time, Andy has discovered in his spooky basement that there is a cellar door that seems to come to life anytime music is being played. The closet becomes personified by horrifying images throughout the episode, which we'll talk more about later. Um, of course, his mom writes this off as some, you know, weird anomaly, but the truth is the closet needs to be fed with people. If Andy feeds it, it will give Andy whatever he wants, uh, which we can then assume is perhaps how his Uncle Niles uh, made his fortune. He was probably part of the system, and when he no longer delivered on his deal, as his mom accidentally reveals, Andy's uncle was discovered uh, dead in the basement. Um, ultimately, Andy is able to deliver uh, a person to the door in the form of his bully, Coda. Um, and we're left thinking at the end of the episode, one of the, I think, one of the most memorable ends of any episode, that Andy's sister might be next. But either way, we know that uh, Andy has kind of come into a contract with this door uh, to feed it people. Um, so that's kind of just the general outline. Um, I love, I love how easy and, uh, classic of a horror story this is. Uh, the emphasis is on the scariness of the door in the basement. Um, music brings the door to life in the, in horrifying ways. Like it's just very simple. Um, I kind of think of, uh, like a Stephen King short story, <laughs> like a door mm -hmm. that lures people in and then eats them. You know, it's like very, um, kind of in that vein and i think even the way it's shot feels like an 80s or 90s stephen king horror tale particularly you know also with your town bully of uh coda he's kind of in that vein of like the 50s greaser who at the same time has this obviously terrible home life um so there's like some depth uh to to those parts of the story um plus it like i said as we mentioned on the we've mentioned it on the pod before but just just the idea that um, it involves a character who actually uses the evil he's discovered in the episode to solve his problems. You know, usually it's a kid trying to get away from it, trying to make it go away. And I think not only is, of course, the closet super memorable and horrifying and um, inter interesting as, a, as a, an idea, but the actual idea that he has decided he's actually going to use the evil in the episode I think it creates for this kind of very unsettling ending. Um, you know, the, the, the door begs him, feed me. It's yours, Andy. I'll give you anything you want. Just like I did for your uncle. Who are you? Anything you want. You only have to do one thing. What's that? 
kind of a big swing for are you afraid of the dark and in this case i think like they knock it out of the park this is i should mention an episode written by um, dj McHale under the pseudonym chloe brown directed by all-time great ron oliver um and uh, i'll just end kind of with a quote here uh it says it doesn't get much better than this for are you afraid of the dark dark music is easily one of the most sinister tales of not just the season but the entire series do you guys know who said that I think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wow. Brett Wilson, folks. <laughs> wow. I've reached a whole new level like of uh, fame in, in the Arifa Dark universe. Huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's very well put, Joey. I, I really appreciate um, the depth that you explored the nature of the characters and the, the, the like kind of story that's weaved in between them um, in terms of like, you know, how they interact with the door, it's, it's very believable. And it kind of has a little tinge of like home alone feeling to it, particularly when uh, Andy's getting his revenge with that, like whole setup montage with like the giant speakers and all. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could definitely, I, I, whenever I revisit both of these episodes, um, it, it always seems like to me, this one has like a more visceral feel to it in terms of like just the energy that brings forth uh there's there's a lot more highs and lows than say like station 109.1 um but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing where because again there's never really any moments where you feel like you're bored or you want to um hurry up the storyline it's it's just really moments of pause to have yourself catch breath and keep tabs on all the characters and what they're doing so um you know, I just feel it's a, a strong tale for that reason as well. For sure. Yeah, cool. Well, Andrew, what 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 uh, might you have a problem with here? Yeah, I got some gripes. <laughs> um, I just to begin with, this is a typical. Are you afraid of the dark setup at the beginning? Oh, um, kid moving to a new town. Love it single parent um i mean it's fine it's just you know we know we've talked about it it's overused um also you know i just want to mention that uh i don't know about this uncle situation inherited from an uncle she could hardly remember like that just feels very like a little lazy to me like they could have come up with a little bit more about the uncle a little more explanation i i i I can't wait to get into the uncle. Um, I'm going to wait to the characters segment. Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll drop some knowledge. Okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, I just, I feel like there, that's one spot where the story could have been expanded. Um, uh, it was, I, I feel like some parts of this episode feel a little forced to me. Like the kid going down in the ba- it, to, into the basement, he immediately uncovers his radio and needs to turn it on. Like, I just don't, it just happens so quickly. Like that is the thing that grabs his attention for some reason. I think this is another spot where if they had made, like if they had said something about the uncle, like, you know, he was a music lover or something like that. I feel like it just would have added a little bit more depth to this. 
Well, obviously, um, though, the uncle knows they need the radios. The uncle knows they need the radio. The uh, he had a radio down there. Sure. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it, they could have expanded on that a little. Just made it all a little, feel a little more natural. Okay. Um. Uh, I also, like, in the same vein, I feel like they should have leaned a little bit more on uh, the idea of Andy uh, needing to take more responsibility to help his mom and sister, since it's just the three of them, like... Just feel like that's another spot of the story that they touch upon barely, but it could have been expanded a little, just been the reason for more of what happens. Um, I think it would have felt deeper. Um, he uh, also, and at another point, um, the first time he listens to the radio, it's like he was hypnotized which meant he didn't know enough to never go down in the basement again. Um, oh man, I, I just feel like this would have been another instance where it just would have been better to um, like make this a little deeper. Like maybe he could have remembered that, but gone down in the basement again to face his fear, you know, for instance. Hmm. Um, I feel like the paper route, um, never quite pays off for how big of a part it seems like in the story. I mean, I don't know how exactly I wanted to come back around, but just would have liked it to have more to do with what was going on. Well, um, how else can he meet Coda? Anyway. I mean, literally any way. Well, this is the way <laughs> he could. Uh, yes, I know. And it's fine for that. Like it serves a purpose, but that's it. You know, it's like it serves that one story purpose, really. Um, and then finally, like it gets uh, I feel like the ending, though, I like it um, is pretty complicated all at once. Like I would have liked to get some of this information in bits, like in just a few seconds, we have to process that the thing in the closet ate Coda and replaced him with a bike that Andy can now use the closet to get things and that he's already thinking of feeding his sister to it. Like this all happens in just maybe 30 seconds total. It just feels like the most happening in the entire episode happens like so quickly. Um, I just would have liked to have some of that drawn out a little bit more. Um, so those are my main uh, problems with this. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think there's I think there's some things there that like I I feel like they give you the kind of scary horror type of stuff as the episode's going um, that kind of keeps you tied over. And I feel like Are You Afraid of the Dark usually does piecemeal it out so that like by the end you can kind of solve. I kind of like that it wallops you like it really like every time this episode ends, I'm like, holy crap, that was big. Um, so yeah. I, I just kind of, I just kind of like it, but okay. I, I just, uh, my first, let me just say my first, yeah. uh, in my first impression when I was rewatching it this time, um, as soon as I saw the bike, I was like, what happened? Like he, Coda turned into a bike. That was my <laughs> thinking. <laughs> Some people have claimed that's what happened versus like him being <laughs> in exchange for yeah. a bike. <laughs> so it's it, it immediately made me think of um that Twilight Zone episode with the kid like 
turning that guy into the jack yeah. in the box yeah. for like yeah. displeasing him. <laughs> yeah, it's a good life. Yeah. Well, I think either yeah. way, it's kind of a, it's a, for, for, are you afraid of the dark? I feel like it's pretty radical, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, so for Tale of Station 109.1, I will I will start with just like, I do think production wise, this episode is very good, like one of the best of the series. It's just uh, from start to finish, really well made, though I will say that shouldn't be confused for story. Um, I think there is there's a lot in this episode of what I'm calling uh, log- logistical gymnastics. Um, so. You know, we can start with this whole this whole idea that he could internet search station one hundred nine point one. To me, starts out like very clunky. Um, like the internet doesn't have any results for one hundred nine point one, but it also knows exactly where the location is for one hundred nine point one. You know, a little little logistical gymnasticy uh, there. I thought. Um, you know, the afterlife is kind of some random building in Vancouver. Logistical. Well, gymnastics. I don't think that place was the afterlife. It was one entrance to the afterlife. But the address was on the internet for it. Um, for this. Yeah, I mean, that internet part was sort of weird. My uh, defense of it is that it lasts for about 10 seconds. So it's like. I'm there's just like logistical hurdles some more here's some more so the real Daniel Carpenter the dead guy um why does he even know about Chris uh like he straight up shows up in Jamie's bedroom being like your brother is taking my dead spot (laughs) it's like logistical gymnastics because the ghost just Mm. knows every detail about what is happening despite in scenes earlier knowing nothing about what was going on. He can't even find the radio station. And now all of a sudden he's like having to break it down for Jamie. Okay. Um, Every other dead person we know, like knows Jack squat. Um, (laughs) There's like a scene where uh, Daniel Carpenter, once they realize that the radio station, like he's running, which was so weird because the whole rest of the episode, every other dead person is kind of in casual walk mode. Um, so it's just, it just feels like they used this dead guy to kind of get the story to where it needed to go in a way that felt like without him, it just wouldn't have happened, even though it doesn't match logically what was happening prior to it. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, my only, this doesn't fix the problem, but, uh, I mean, Jamie could have gotten to the station without the dead guy. Like he was the final convincing factor, I guess, but, uh, yeah. You know, why worked around it? Another question, Andrew, uh, why can Gosling see Daniel's ghost, but not his brother? Mm. Uh, cause his brother has the, um, slap bracelet on, but when they get to the station, he can see, you can see him. Maybe when he, maybe anybody in the station, you know, can see each other. Like if he's mm. in the dead realm. Logistical gymnastics, Andrew. I mean, I don't think that one's that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, also another, an, I mean, I guess my 
one thing I really don't like if we're comparing these two episodes. I really think yours misses on the like the moral of the story here. Uh, like at, at the end, that Chris should just change into like some normal noob, like his brother Ryan Gosling. Sure. Um, I think you know it's no competition for mine. You have an all-time horror ending, um, and yours you know if my episode starts as kind of a typical boring are you afraid of the dark i think yours definitely ends hard as a typical are you afraid of the dark where you know it's now we're best friends even though this kid was you know like harold and maude when the episode started um so um don't like the ending of it uh legitimately like i i, I love a lot about your episode of course but um i think it kind of ends on a but I, I, you know, I, I like the part of him walking up the steps too. I, we've talked about that. I think on our favorite, I don't know. We talked about that once before, but. Oh um, yeah. Maybe the moment favorite... where you see him. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe when we're talking about favorite guest stars. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I like that, but yeah, the, then the, a good touch. Should, should I say the coda of the episode where uh, he and his mm. brother are now like just love and life together. Uh, yeah. just doesn't quite work for me as, as a ending but um yeah i just think i think there's a lot of like logical problems in your episode even though as you're watching it you're probably really not thinking about those things all that much uh you know for the purpose of this episode as i was really trying to break it down i'm like wait so a lot of this just doesn't kind of go together um brett questions um no, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward uh, so far. When you do bring up the logistical gymnastics, uh, I do begin to think about that because uh, normally I just kind of blaze through an episode and just be like, oh, yeah, that was pretty great. But when you actually slow down and look at all the details, as it can be fun to do sometimes, um, it, it begins to be a little a little questionable in terms of does this cause this to happen and do we really need this element to make this happen and i feel like the closer you like look under the hood uh for station 109.1 it just seems like you know they just kind of mixed some you know random elements together that kind of fit the theme and then also you know we're, we're just using the characters to get from one place to another to you know, essentially resolve the problem of getting this dead guy into the afterlife, and uh, um, among the big things that that bugs me about the episode is uh, not only the whole like uh, Jamie can see, you know, the other two characters are not that are supposedly dead, Daniel Carpenter and Chris, but also like what are what's the story behind the the dark cloaked figures that kind of take people away or send oh, them into yeah. the door because they don't they don't really get any explanation at all and it doesn't make sense to me that uh dj roy gilbert godfrey doesn't look like that or something similar as well so there's kind of some weird inconsistency with the whole funeral aesthetic that leaves me perplexed at the end of the episode pretty much every time i watch it um i do know that they they do share that like similar robed figure uh aesthetic briefly in the tale of the dream machine and and Eric's unfinished tale before Twisted Claw. So I thought that was like an interesting little hmm. trivia note, but I still want to know more about how this like station operates beyond, you know, Roy's little radio show to say, hey, you know, all these ghost characters come over here. This is where we send you to the afterlife. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, my assumption was that this was one of many places like this. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's like sending. So there's multiple stations people can pass over then, and this just or like a, a nearby one, or like um, yeah, like multiple physical stations um, mm. scattered around yeah. the world. Next, um, where do you want to go next, Brett? Uh, we might. Did we do characters officially yet? No. Let's let's go into that because we're kind of treading both territories right now, and then we can go to the more fun stuff later. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Well, I'll start here for characters. Um, I have one word for you guys. Coda. Should, oh. <laughs> should we serious? move on? Should we move on? Yeah, probably, because that's <laughs> all that needs to be said. You're right. What? Why Coda? Uh, well, no. <laughs> well, if you need two words, Coda's dad. But um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I so you know, just to outline, uh, my main character here is Andy. Um, I think this kid is the like perfect blend of a lead character on Are You Afraid of the Dark. He's clearly, you know, as Andrew stated, he's kind of going through a rough patch, which is typical to an Are You Afraid of the Dark lead character. But he's also not a brat or a snob, as sometimes the um, protagonist can be. Um, and he's he's actually, like, pretty supportive with his mom. He's trying to help out. He's got a job. He's somewhat likable. He, like, does, of course, his sister's annoying to him, but he tolerates her. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when his mom needs favors, he does it. He loves her. Um, plus, this actor is I think really good and he has a look about him that adds to the kind of haunted nature of the story. Like he has this kind of, I don't know, like his eyes are these like really sharp blue. And when like Mm. the, when the glow of the door hits this particular kid's face, it's really hypnot. Like, I don't know. It's really interesting looking. Um, And he plays, I know what you mean. Because that last image uh, typically stays with me when I watch the episode. Just yeah. like some, something about the way it's lit, or in in combination with like the black eye that he still has from Coda. Yeah. Uh, really, really sears that image in your mind afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and he and and I think he is just a legit like pretty good actor. Like he plays hypnotized pretty well, and um, so I think he's just really effective. Like it would have, I think it could have been just easily a, like a blah performance. Um, but mm-hmm. I think he's just a little better than your typical lead actor. Um, we have a mom in my story, classic mom, you know, but actually not, <laughs> not annoying really. Uh, she, you know, she does try to kind of explain away the closet. I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that Andy forgets what's happened in the basement the first time. I think he vividly remembers. So anyway, Andy freaked and ran up to get his mom. Because his worst nightmares were coming true. It was in there. It talked to me. It said, come in and I'll suck your blood or something like that. Get lost. Get back upstairs. Now. It, it was probably a rat or something. Rats don't talk. Good. I hate rats. Andy. Honey, come over here. It's the root cellar. I swear, Mom, there was something in here. Well, maybe it was a rat. But, you know, the mom's trying to get... Oh, God. They specifically say that he was hypnotized into not remembering. What do you mean? He runs up the stairs saying, like, red eyes. I saw red eyes. and uh, Uh, Maybe it was the second time. 
Okay. Yeah, the, one of the times the first, there's the, like the, a... the first time he brings his mom down, and she's like, "Oh, it was a rat," or you know, it was the radio. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. He kind of, <laughs> he, yeah, he kind of accepts that. So, I think you know the mom is doing her best, and you know she's just part of the family unit. We got Christina. She's you know the classic little sister. Do me a favor. Go down in the basement and see if he had a ladder. The basement. Yeah, there's a bunch of junk down there. Uh, I don't know. What's the matter, Andy? Afraid of the dark? No, I'm not afraid of the dark. Be careful down there. It's a real mess. Not quite as abrasive, in my opinion, as Gosling in yours, but certainly um, Hmm. not as... It's a problem, I think. You think she should be more abrasive? Yes, for sure. Hmm. For what ends up happening at the end? Well, he, but he's, he's... You know, he's got two things going on, and I think ultimately the bully here is more interesting than, you know, you know, the sibling being the nemesis is well-worn territory in Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I'm not sure any more interesting than, like, this actually kind of interesting bully in town. Um, we have we have Coda, who I'd like to describe as a real-life Roger Klotz. You mess with me, kid, and I'll deck you. What?! Look, everybody was glad when your nutbag uncle kicked, then you had to show up. Hey, I never even met the guy! You're his family, it's the same thing. If you get in my face again, you're history. Who are you? I'm your new neighbor. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yes. I definitely (laughs) felt the same way when I saw him. He's like Roger Klotz with James Hetsfield's haircut from early Metallica days. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Andy, what you doing? (laughs) He even had, just like when Roger shows up on Doug, he gets, he has like a guitar lick that plays when he shows up on screen. Like, yeah. It it really feels like, I don't know. Like, now I want to see a dark music Doug mashup. That would be amazing. It's kind of like when Doug walks the abnormal on Nightmare on Jumbo Street. You know, that similar, like, recurring fear that he has to overcome. But, you know, that's probably yeah. another episode down the line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Coda is your classic bully. But as I mentioned, uh, just to kind of go back, I feel like it's almost a Stephen King thing where, yes, he's the bully. But just that quick introduction with his dad introduces us to probably why this kid, we're able to deduct why this kid is damaged. Um, mm-hmm. And so... I think that adds like a weight to it where it's like, yes, Andy's going through something. And even this kid who's picking on him, like lives this probably pretty miserable life. And so he's taking it out on Andy. Um, I just think it's, I think it's, I think it's more interesting than the sister angle. Um, So I really, I really like, I really like that. And um, of course, who can we, who who can forget the basement door? Um, The star of the show here. Um, doesn't have the cred of Gosling or Gottfried, but I think between the two episodes, it's the most captivating element. Um, so I, I, uh, I uh, love, uh, I, I, I love mine. I think, you know, it, if it hinges on Gottfried, who just so you know, Andrew, I will refuse to go after, uh, he is a gift to comedy and to this episode, <laughs> of him. but, um, <laughs> To me, the question is like, does Godfrey outweigh my list of who I think are like is actually complicated and deep characters? I'm just not mm-hmm. sure he does. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Oh, can I say one more thing? I, I wanted to shout this out. 
Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and Brett, you know about this because it was briefly mentioned in your trivia in your book. Um, mm -hmm. So it is in your trivia. But last week, just as chance would have it, Andrew, our friend Jace, you know Jace? Yeah. Yeah. So he um, he messaged us kind of a thread about this episode. He says, hey, guys, I was thinking of you last week. I was watching The Tale of Dark Music, and I caught something that I wanted to run by you. The bully Coda calls Andy's deceased uncle a, quote, nutbag, and the uncle was clearly into some demonic magic. We know the first name is Niles, and that being a great uncle doesn't necessarily have to have the same last name of Carr. What if his last name was Vink? It's a thin... <laughs> yes! <laughs> It's a thin connection, true, but what if Dr. Vink got his wealth and powers this way, allowing him to traverse space and time itself to continue his wild forays, say to silent film era or to the shack in the woods, or aiding his quest to find a statue with psychotropic abilities for the sake of making goddamn soup. He was discovered dead in the basement, but could this be a purposeful way for him to escape conventional society now that he's gotten all he's needed from the creature in the basement with Niles officially deceased? Fully embrace his new existence as Dr. Vink Unbound? Oh, and lest we forget, Dr. Vink's favorite specimen, which is the hand in the jar, you know what I'm talking about, Andrew? Yeah, oh yeah is actually seen in the basement in this episode. And there, huh. I, I, because I knew of this post, I looked for it. And absolutely, when Andy is in the basement with his sister, there is a jar on the wall with a floating hand in it. Huh. Okay. Which is I mean, I, I like the idea, this idea. That's yeah. Sure. It's yeah. I, I was going to say, um... I'm, I'm sending you the photo, Andrew. Oh, it's just just because it's cool. Yeah. Oh wait, I see it. Uh, I'm floating through the episode okay. right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> so thank yeah, you. Yeah, this makes my mind. <laughs> thank you, Jace, very much. You're like making yeah. my mind go into overdrive now, thinking of all the possibilities <laughs> to like connect all episodes together. Because that's something I've been kind of doing as a as a hobby within the art of the dark universe these past couple of years is trying to find like a six degrees of separation common thread amongst all 91 <laughs> episodes. And the idea that Vink is like deriving his powers from here so he can do all these different trades and continue to like, not necessarily yeah. feed off of people, but like lure them to like this demon, maybe to enhance his powers or, uh, you know, allow him to get talismans of some sort to use in different scenarios. It just it it makes me feel excited to explore his backstory store more. And um, for all we know, you know, we only hear him referred to in the series as Doctor Vink. Well, if his first name is Niles, like Niles Vink, or that could just be like another persona that you know, once he quote unquote died, he just assumed the Vink persona as he turned to the dark side, like Andy did for the cellar door demon, as I like to call him, and yeah. uh, just start this new career path of being a mysterious figure that may or may not be magical, but he's always there and you never know if he's like working in your, in your favor or working against you behind the scenes. So I love that. I want to see that elaborate on more. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they mentioned in the episode that like he was a recluse. People didn't really 
like nobody really saw him. They mm-hmm. didn't, his family yeah. didn't even know what he looked like. Who knows if the person they found on the floor in the basement was even him. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe, and maybe Bank was a recluse in Phantom Cab as like a natural scientist in the woods. Yeah. You know, that's that's more evidence towards that case. I mean, that should be its own episode, but you know, I, I really <laughs> love that. <laughs> Who is yeah. Vink really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this could even be the end of Vink. I mean, like, that could have been mm. him dead, yeah. but, uh, like, this was the last chronological um, right. that's, that's interesting. mention yeah. of him. Yeah, yeah uh, kind of like how some people theorize how uh, the tale of the time trap was actually the first Sardell tale, not uh, Super Specs, as we oh. see. So yeah, you can definitely play around with some of those ideas of how, you know, the, the intended order is supposed to go to kind of flesh out their their whole storylines as characters. Yeah. Really. Well, that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Was not expecting that to ever (laughs) discover that, that blatant of a detail in one of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, in my episode, uh, the main character is Chris. Uh, This, as we mentioned, a boy who's obsessed with death. Uh, you said, uh, Joe, um, Harold and Maud like, yeah. or I was thinking of him as uh, like a boy version of Lydia Dietz. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I like this character. It's a cool um, idea, I think, and maybe a little uh, heavy for um, kids. Like uh, just the idea of being obsessed with death, thinking about it all the time. Um, hey, uh, what you playing? Hangman figures. You didn't see what came on the lot this afternoon. No. A hearse. No. Yeah, and it just came back from a funeral. No way. Way. Cool. I wonder how many bodies have been in here. Come here, check this out. Right out for size, man. There's a dead guy in this afternoon. How cool is this? Lie down, make yourself at home. I like that. Uh, I, I mean, I think that makes his character creepier. Um, and Jamie, who's Ryan Gosling, is his older brother, um, who, as you kind of mentioned, gets under the brother's skin a little bit. Um, I like him in this episode. I mean, I don't think he's as annoying as you sold him. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. He seems like a normal older brother trying to prank this kid. Um, but in the end, he comes to his rescue. So I feel like this is maybe like a more realistic brother character. It's like giving him a hard time, but yeah. is there for him finally. Um and then, of course, uh, there's Roy, the lunatic DJ for Station <laughs> 109.1. Um, I feel like Gilbert Gottfried, like, in this episode, does this perfect job of being funny and scary almost at the exact same time. Where it's mm. like, he's he, he'll say funny things, but he's screaming them at you, and... Like at any moment, he he turns the corner suddenly, and like becomes that menacing figure. Excuse me, is this the radio station? I'm not cutting. I just want to ask a question. 
with you. You can't read? Here, knock window. Do not on the. Let's try it together, shall we? Do not knock on the window. But, Bernard, this is an interesting phenomenon that's taking place. It's like one person and then there's another one behind them, all standing quietly, one after the other. What do you suppose that is? It's a lie! That's what it is! It's a lie! Why don't you try waiting in the line? Yeah, I, I think his, uh, him in this episode, I mean, just makes me think of Bobcat um, as the other, like, <laughs> big comedian guest star. Um, and I think it just carries a lot of weight. Uh, every time he's on the screen, he's really great. Um, and, uh, I don't know, almost like better than I expected him to be, um, having not seen it for a while. Like he feels almost like you could have, uh, been too wacky, but I, I, again, I feel like he like really, um, walks that line, um, really deftly. Um, we also have Daniel Carpenter, uh, who I want to mention, we've also seen before as old man Corcoran and mm-hmm. the guy in the hungry hounds. Um, yeah. I think he's, Giles. he just has such a look to him. He looks like a, mm. uh, ghost walking around. Can you take me there? Can you help me find the way home? I'm Daniel Carpenter. Sure you are, bud. All right, say, uh, how much is my brother paying me? Yeah, I don't know. He's super creepy, and the way he talks is very creepy. Uh, he's just got like for a kind of a background character ish. He's got a pretty big presence. I feel like, um, and uh, there's also mom and dad who we barely see at the beginning of the episode. So I would say, you know, arguably underutilized, but they're, I felt perfect for that scene of like the classic mom and dad rolling their eyes type of thing. Um, and it's one of the funny moments in the episode when mom uh, asks for the grave instead of the gravy. <laughs> Cause she's thinking so much about Chris's Definitely. death. Talk. I love that part. And he's, <laughs> Chris is like burying the shrimp and gives him a little like carrot cross on the mashed potatoes. It's, I want to see him do a whole diorama like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lo- uh, just since you mentioned it, um, I really love that close up on the food and that like really, it's just like the perfect weird foods to go together. Um, burying shrimp in mashed potatoes. It's like just a good image. Um, and also we have, um, uh, the other walking dead or the other wandering dead and the robed characters that you mentioned earlier, um, which I think just like add to that sense of dread in this episode, they're constantly around one of them. Um, and it's just like this with the wandering dead. It's like they're, um, they're just creepy to be around. You don't know what the deal is. And they're kind of like, you feel like there's something you're missing when you're introduced to them and then uh mm-hmm. the robed figures i just i really love my only complaint about them is that there weren't that there wasn't more of them um 
Because I thought it was a really scary uh, addition to this episode, being dragged off by these things. Um, I just wanted, like, even more. So um, I thought those were really effective characters, too. So I, I don't know. I think overall, um, I just thought my characters were markedly stronger. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I thought the, the robe figures are kind of lame. Um, just, just for like, just, (laughs) just for the afterlife, it just feels a little like this is it. Like just, they threw a blanket on somebody and I don't know. It felt, I, I thought they were a little underwhelming, but to work back to your lead, Chris, um, I think this kid's just kind of a letdown. Like they, of course, give him this interesting angle of being kind of a morbid death obsessed kid which is a cool angle for a main character but it feels like the actor they got is just kind of a ho-hum like i'm not even sure i ever really believe like he's that interesting um i think they totally as i mentioned earlier undercut his story um with making him at the end being like oh yeah i'm just a normal kid i'm i'm not morbid um i just don't think that's really how people work um I think uh, Ryan Gosling is seriously terrible in this episode. Um, Like, I was watching this. I'm like, man, if Ryan Gosling could turn into, like, an award-winning actor and you looked at this performance, it feels like anybody on Are You Afraid of the Dark could have turned into, like, an Oscar-caliber actor Uh, because he is, I think, truly bad in this. Um, I think there's all sorts of problems kind of logically with, as I mentioned, uh, the dead guy's name daniel yeah 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 i just think his his purpose is kind of muddled i i agree i kind of like them shuffling around but i think the moment he starts just being like so verbal and communicative it like undercuts the scariness of the character it becomes like a mission oriented ghost um which feels not in line with what else is happening um so i just i think you got kind of a boring lead character um I think Gosling is just, you know, we talk about this from time to time with Are You Afraid of Dark. I just think he actually gives kind of a bad performance in this episode. Um, you know, I'm not going... Gottfried is just wonderful. Um, there wasn't a moment where he was on... I Like, because you do... I mean, You know, when you're prepping verses, you're trying to be a little ruthless. You're trying to probably make arguments that you wouldn't make otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? No. I'm every moment he's on screen. I'm just sitting back and loving this. Um, so oh, good. Uh, <laughs> nothing but That's respect. Magic of <laughs> Not, yeah. Nothing but respect for Godfrey. Ah, never mind. Come on. Look, maybe you've got an eternity, but I'm on schedule. Join, joining the, you know, the pantheon with Bobcat Goldwaif. <laughs> of, yeah. Uh, comedic <laughs> actors to grace the screen on Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, so, uh, but otherwise, that those are some of my my issues. Well, uh, the main kid in Dark Music, typical every kid. Um, I think he does a fine job of reacting to the door, but whenever he has to uh, interact with other people, I feel like it's pretty awful. Um, especially when he's interacting with Coda. It's like, 
<laughs> I don't know, very whiny. Nice day for a ride, isn't it? Stop, I gotta go find my mom. Mom's not gonna help you now, kid. Get used to it, kid. I'm gonna beat on you for the rest of your life. Don't! And uh, this whole interaction with between, like when Coda punches him in the face, just <laughs> oh such a gosh. weird, so weird. It's that whole it's, scene. It's weird just to see anybody in Are You Afraid of the Dark getting so deliberately like humbled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, but Andy like, just gets like right back up. You know, like nothing. Punching sounds too. They sound like <laughs> like oh, punching in the air. <laughs> I like it. They didn't um, hold back. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's, it's a tale for adults. Okay. Um, Christina, the typical bratty sister. Um, though again, like, I don't think she's bratty enough for the final implication of this episode. Like if he's thinking about feeding her to the door, she's not doing enough to deserve to deserve anywhere near that. Like I, I want her to, I want to like feel uh a lo- right along with him like yeah he should feed her to the door. You want to you want to feel um crimson clown little brother? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um real question though. Do, do you think by the end like his mind it yes his sister is probably not the worst, but do you think his mind's like a little warped by the end by the door? Um, that occurred to me and I think that's a good explanation. Um, I just feel like if that's the route they were going, um, I wanted a little more something explaining that that was happening. Like this mm-hmm. last moment, suddenly he flips over to the dark side that instant. Like, all right, fine. Uh, Mrs. Carr is the overworked mom. Um, uh, again, like a t- kind of a typical "Are you afraid of the dark?" parent character that just doesn't have the energy or time to totally pay attention to what's happening. Um, and she was fine, probably the best actor in the episode. Um, and Coda, of course, just mm. like Preach. I like him because he's so <laughs> terrible in pretty much every way. Uh, <laughs> He's just the worst. I'd say the worst actor by far. Oh, um, no. And this backstory, fine. Like, I think you're giving it way more credit than it actually deserves. Um, it feels like a total afterthought. Like, they grabbed somebody off the set to be his no dad way. to like, throw this little, this little moment in there. And don't give me no lip. You want an allowance? You earn it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny. It's just like, it does not feel like a, I don't know. It doesn't feel effective to me in mm. making Coda uh, sympathetic or, you know, I, I get that what you're saying, but I just don't think it's enough. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's, um, he's uh, what's his name? Henry Bowers. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> He is a classic villain. Um, they're just, I don't know what it is about him. 
just felt like he could have been more effective somehow. Um, anyway, I overall, I just felt like the acting was poor. Um, again, except for I'll give um, the the main kid uh, a couple of scenes when he's like really talk when he's interacting with the door again, like you know that was pretty good. Um, but the rest of it, I don't know. It just felt very typical. Like they didn't put that much thought into what these characters were going to be. They're just going to be there to serve the story. Um, which is fine. Just not above and beyond. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, Brett, any thoughts on anything you heard there or questions? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a, a few of them. Um, I, I do actually. I love I love the character of Coda because he's just so like stereotypical bully, and he does remind me a lot of Roger Klotz. But at the same time, I feel like that can be problematic because he never he never really felt imposing to me when I watched the episode. Like, yes, he he beats on Andy a couple times with some punches and throws his bike under a dumb truck, which is savage. But I, I never <laughs> so got. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it is. Even just to watch that as like the wheels are taking the bike away and then the wheel like kind of spins back and goes just standing there akimbo with Andy between his legs, you know, shot framed. It's it's ridiculous. It's cartoonish borderline. But, you know, that's that's a signature of Ron Oliver's style, which, believe it or not, he directed both of these episodes. Mm -hmm. So you kind of see a little, you know, influence of his wackiness here and there. Um, But I I actually feel Coda just doesn't feel threatening enough somehow I'm, I'm with andrew on this like i don't know what it is maybe it's his appearance the way he like walks but he doesn't he doesn't feel like the kind of bully that i want to feed to the demon if he's like getting on my nerves like maybe i'll i'll call the police or notify his dad but he doesn't seem like he's putting enough pressure on to justify his demise there so but does um, but i, does, I do but... Like, does Andy know he's going to die? Because Andy seems like he goes back downstairs and was like, "All right, Coda, mm-hmm. have you had enough? Like, if you do it again, I'll do I'll do this to you again." I I don't think he totally realizes he's killing Coda. Coda. Had enough? You mess with me, I'll do this to you again. Yeah, I see the point. But at the same time, I, I just felt like it was a very home alone moment there where he he let loose off the rails and kind of just said that to cover his bases, even though, you know, he kind of had sinister plans starting to brew underneath as like an act of revenge. So even even if Coda survived that and just got spooked for the rest of his life, it's still gives him a heck of a lot of emotional trauma to deal with afterwards already on top of like being a bully and struggling with dealing his family life. So mm. I don't know, just something about it, it. It doesn't sit well with me, but I still appreciate the character's performance, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like the performance versus the persona. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you guys something? Would, sure. would, would you ever feed someone to a door for reward? <laughs> you know, if they got on my nerves, like beyond the point of reconciliation, I would consider it. <laughs> what? What? Okay. Um, so the question is, what reward would you want? 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, the first thing that's coming to my mind is like my own like Swiss family robin treehouse so I can be just left alone and enjoy <laughs> paradise forever. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have to feed quite a few people to achieve that reward. Like uh, one person for a bike seems fair for, for like a treehouse of my dreams versus like living at home with my mom and dad forever. I feel like I have to feed the entire neighborhood. To and I'm like, I, I can't fit any more people in this door. You just got to chew slowly or wash them down with water or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think I would feed my siblings. So they get on my nerves on occasion, but never enough that I would justify it and feel good afterwards because then it would just kind of end up as a downward spiral where like if my mom and dad's like giving me a hard time about it or gonna send me to jail then of course i'd have to feed them to to keep them hush hush and then just uh, it get ugly fast yeah yeah <laughs> um i i <laughs> that is a good question <laughs> um i feel like uh i would have to believe that this this person was going to kill me before i would do that you know even if you won't go to jail for it (laughs) um just uh, just on a whim like i don't think so i mean (laughs) andrew yet again proves to be the better of the two of us (laughs) (laughs) well who are you gonna (laughs) you've Uh, thought this all out no, I haven't thought this all out. I actually just thought of the question. I I don't think I would, but I also can be impulsive. And I guess it depends what I need. Like if it were, <laughs> let's, let's, well, no, 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 hold on. Hear me out. If it were to, if I were to receive something that let's say like prolonged, like a family member's life, say I'm like desperate mm-hmm. and like I could receive a cure or something, um, I, I could see I could see the moral dilemma of like I could save this one person's life and take this terrible person's life. I'm not yeah. saying I'd do it. I could just see the moral dilemma. <laughs> okay. And obviously yeah. that's not what Andy's doing here. He's not some like moral crusade. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's not like Dexter or something. But um uh anyway, I, I think I think it's like a very interesting proposition. Definitely. Yeah. Would you would you feel that's justified if you like fed his sister to save his mom if she had an illness where she needed a cure? No, because I think the mom <laughs> in this case would probably be like, you know, I think you know any parent would say like, I, I'll die before <laughs> you purposely kill my child. Yeah. So I, I think in that yeah. case, it's probably still too far. Um, and you may not see it that way, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. From the perspective, makes sense. I mean, the ending definitely makes me feel like Andy's like a screw is loose. Like that look on his yeah. face is yeah. kind of like, you know, again, going back to Stephen King, like he's like looking in the deadlights or something. Yeah. Yes. Unhinged and loving it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wanted a little more build up to that moment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. sure. Okay. That's fair. Yay. Cool. All right. Well, uh, where should we go next, Brett? Uh, hmm. How do you guys feel about scariness? Sure. Mm. I feel really cool. good about it. <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just off the bat, my episode, the basis for my entire episode is about the scariest thing there is death. Um, 
just like before the story even begins um it's already kind of creepy this kid being obsessed with death and and it just puts the idea in your own mind so you're thinking about it then so it's a it's a good way to like get the tension started um uh also chris's character um his first line during dinner uh wondering if anyone has been buried alive is just again like setting this great creepy tone um and and i guess it's even a little creepier that it's a kid a kid of this age um it just seems like maybe a little maybe he's like a little young to be totally obsessing about this um but uh in addition there is uh throughout this episode i love the piercing organ music um really Mm. sets off the uh scary scenes um and it's like it's done well enough to where I feel like it's blending in most of the time. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't looking for it, I would have just been affected by it without actually hearing it, which I think is really um, indicates that it was really well done. Um, The uh, just this idea of the kids playing in this hearse at night, another just like great, maybe like of this episode, the best, like being a kid and you can feel that creepiness of it. It might not even be as creepy as an adult, but like when you're a kid, that feels like almost pinnacle of scary, weird thing you could do. Um, I love the uh, this the radio station itself is almost like a ghostly apparition, just that it exists, um, that it's beyond the dial. It gives you this like another just creepy um kind of like background thing like these aren't like visceral in your face yet but uh it's just like gearing you up for what's to come um and then they run into the people wandering around the town uh searching for how to pass on Uh, i think these people are great they have like they serve the purpose of almost like a ghost zombie combination or you know like even before you know exactly what their purpose is you understand they're like apparitions of some sort um and uh just this idea that they're all like wandering the town is very uh ghost very unnerving to me um gilbert godfrey of course terrifying with his loud insane laugh um (laughs) hey uh pick up the pace pal we don't have old century no no, you're mistaken. I'm not supposed to go. No, you made a mistake. You're the wrong man. He led a nasty life, and he's going to lead a much nastier afterlife. Step outside. Your turn is coming. <laughs> Yeah, again, like he has this that perfect balance of uh, scariness and humor. I feel like, like that almost maybe even elevates the scariness because you never know like where the moment is where he's gonna like go off the handle. Um, the the look of the set of this episode just like adds to the scariness the whole way. I feel like uh, the especially. Um, like the architecture of the radio station 
both the waiting room and then the back rooms where there's like all these doors like lined up in this weird way i feel like is very kind of unnerving um and also in the radio like um in the room where they're actually broadcasting from um there's this like great lighting in here uh it's like this red light bulb and it's dark um it just gives the whole atmosphere of that place uh this really um creepy feel um uh oh also the of course the door to the afterlife i love the look of um it's got these like weird faces in it and uh um insects and it it just looks very bizarre it's reminiscent of um hellraiser 3 if anyone has seen that it's got this pillar in it that's kind of similar um when chris has the slap bracelet on um i feel like just his interactions with the outer world are unnerving um the fact that he can't talk to anyone or even touch them he said it's the first step you're crazy i never miss clark and ryan i'm probably gonna listen to it on the radio in the hearse forget clark and ryan listen to me You can't see me. It's this thing. I'm not moving. I'm not gonna go. I'm staying right here. Mom! Um, and very cool effect again, just like to again unnerve you is him going out of these rooms in his house and ending up back at the radio station. And then of course, leaving the radio station and he comes right back in just a really cool effect. Um, the, oh, also I feel like we've kind of skipped over this, but when the people in the radio station are being dragged away by the clo- cloaked creatures, that is super effective. I feel like, um, these guys just like screaming that it's not their time and they, um, you know, they're in the wrong place. Um, just like very scary for a kid. I feel like, um, and finally, um, I, I'm always re-shocked when I see that, um, Chris gets thrown into the death door finally at the end. It's just such like an unexpected moment, um, that I just, I like tense up when it happens, like what's going to happen to this kid, even though I know, um, but just the fact that the terrible thing that they're promising throughout this episode actually happens um is super freaky i feel like uh so anyway i i feel like even with gilbert godfrey the funny guy um this episode just has this constant reminder that you're supposed to be scared and worried about what's going to happen next um i think it's really effectively done yeah. Okay. Cool. All said. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just realized we we didn't mention it uh, at the start here, but Brett, you're so I wanted to mention a couple things. So your artwork for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple oh, details yeah. for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, a couple things I love here for uh, Station One Hundred Nine Point One. You mean? Uh, well, for the artwork for this particular podcast episode. The ver- oh the, yeah, yeah. The verse is up. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, the hand in the jar. So if you look at Brett's uh, picture, you can spot the hand in the jar. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really love the newspaper of local bully missing. 
Um, you got yep. Coda's, Coda's jacket on the floor. Yeah. Um, you got the hands sticking out of the closet. I like that you incorporated both uh, radios, um, like the, the sound waves. You got the green bracelet. Just yeah. re- really, I, I think this is a great one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun making it. And I knew even before we like planned for Podtober that I wanted to do something special for this if I ever ever had the opportunity. So I really like just dug deep and like pulled out, okay, what do I love about each of these episodes and try and work them in such a way that we can still feel like it's opposing each other yet you see the similarities of the elements, um, you know, with like the characters and the two doors and all the little details. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I, I think after I did a guardian's curse versus uh, silent servant with you guys, I, I found like that, that formula of how to compose versus art for you guys. And yeah, I, I think it looks great too. So uh, thank you for the compliments there. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, I, I just also want to mention the, uh, just the character designs. Yeah. The choices you made between those two characters are really effective like it just i feel like they really represent those characters in a way i'm not sure even why but they yeah do. <laughs> yeah yeah because uh andy on the left is kind of like he's got that black eye and he's got that little sinister smirk on yeah. him like oh yeah i'm gonna use his door against <laughs> someone now and then chris is like no i'm not dead i'm looking at the bracelet see even though it's a slap bracelet i can't take it off help me and then the book figures are kind of just waiting to pull him back into the the, the yeah. door of the bathroom so yeah it's Thank yeah. you. It's awesome. Uh, it's fun to make. Cool. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, getting into the scariness on my episode. I mean, I'm just... I don't feel like it's close. Um, uh, there's so many, to me, as a Are You Afraid of the Dark fan, iconic images that stem from my episode that are not iconic just because they're memorable, but because they are legit really, really scary. Um, you know, the, the particular order of things we, with the closet, we first get it when it opens, it's kind of pitch black and you just get these red glowing eyes, um, which kind of, uh, call out to Andy. Who's there? Hello, man. then have to me which is the scariest and i actually mentioned this on uh, you know my scariest characters my number one was the closet door um just because of the different elements the door threw out um and the second one to me is like the stuff nightmares is made of which is the giant oversized doll in the blue dress and the blonde hair oh, yeah. hi andy won't you come play with me we can have lots of fun. Just come with me. Andy? Everything okay? Hurry. Please hurry. Hey, you. Uh, 
oh my god it's just so freaky um you know it's it's really working to lure andy into the closet um what what really like always gets me is when the mom flips flips off the power and it goes like squealing back into the closet and the door shuts i don't know what it is about that but um it's it really gets me um we have the the carney yeah. oh sorry right no i was gonna say um that really stuck with me too it's almost like that that doll is a yo-yo like a one of a bag of tricks type of thing that the solitaire demon has in its arsenal because we don't see its true form i mean we see the eyes but we can't assume that that's its true form that's just right you know, how he introduces himself and so there could be anything behind there and when i remember seeing like that that life-size doll just pop out i'm like oh shoot now i'm actually afraid of basement sound because i don't want to imagine that kind of thing being down there if i look near the boiler or like the furnace or something and it just happens to be there moving or non-moving so yeah. um yeah I, I think of the of the three different images that the that the door presents to andy that's that's the most effective yeah um and i also like the carney too but it yeah. didn't it didn't quite hit me the same way uh even if it is scary uh especially with like this vortex sucking uh Andy in with it while it's like in his, his skeleton form when he grabs him, mm. but it's all, all of it. It's like, it just makes you want to see, well, what other kinds of forms can this right. solid or demon take or throw at someone, even if it isn't Andy there. Yeah. It feels a little bit like a mouse trap where like whatever the thing is that's extending out is just there to suck yeah. you back in. Um, right. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned the carny, like the carny itself is not as scary to me, but the, the fact that the background is no longer the seller, I guess is what's really trippy yeah. to me. Um, feels pretty, pretty out there. And then Andrew, I'm assuming the image you were talking about is one of the most famous in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Is, is it what's next? Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I assume the, the I skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Was <laughs> um, he related to the Kool-Aid guy? <laughs> hurry, hurry, hurry. Step right up for the time of your life. We've got games. We've got rides. We've got prizes like you've never seen. That's right, son. Don't delay. We've got all kinds of surprises in here. Stop now, son. You're almost killed. What's the matter, Andy? Don't you want to have some fun? <laughs> oh, yeah! This is gonna be dope! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it almost feels like um, Tales from the Crypt kind of like... It, like it's oh, it, it feels like the hinges are coming off and i again i just really dig that about this are you afraid of the dark that it it doesn't there are beats that are a typical are you afraid of the dark no no doubt about it but it also feels like somewhere along the line um and i will get to this with the midnight society segment but there is such a hard theme of are you afraid of the dark like this is almost a titular episode in my opinion that they are like let's right. let's go for it um so there's that 
Um, the the ending of the door, um, you know, just to quote it here, I'll play the clip. Um, but it says, hello, Andy, come in. Um, and then also, uh, you know, the feed me line. Um, it's just, it has this very unsettling, more more in the classical sense of what horror is to me. Um, there's like a static 20 second shot of him just walking around in the basement for the first time where it's really dark. And to me, like just that shot of him going into the basement is scarier than almost anything I think in your episode. Um, plus, plus we get, uh, some classic X-Files 90 synth music. I just love it. Um, I personally lived in a house with a cold chamber. So let me tell you from personal experience, Ooh. I don't recommend it. it it's scary. Uh, like I, I obviously didn't have this experience, but cold chambers are just by, if you've ever had one in your house, they're really, uh, I, I didn't like it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, just to be fair, scariest episodes list that we made, this was, this was on my list. Um, scariest characters this was my number one um and of course the reputable oh site God. a bustle named this the number one scariest episode of the series um so irrelevant, <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> um I, I i do think this is like of the categories right like however this goes i think this is the category where it's like not when it comes to scariest and it's just not even close um but what do you think? You're right. It's not close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, what flavor of scariness would you like? <laughs> so, I mean, I have a few problems with the scariness of this episode. Uh, first, the monster with the glowing eyes, the first form, I ended up like involuntarily laughing at just the way that it talks. Hello, Andy. Come on in. <laughs> Um, it's got such a goofy voice. Um, it just, I don't know that, that scene just never did it for me, I guess. Um, there's, uh, this one thing that undercuts the scariness is this unnecessary, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but it just does affect somewhat my, um, engagement in the story is this midnight society, uh, interlude. Uh Um, it just kind of, I feel like it, slow uh, kind of ruins a little bit of the tension that has been built up to that point um the i'm really surprised to hear you guys say the doll is your scariest uh thing in the episode because i feel like for me um it was almost like super creepy but the look of it just ultimately didn't um really freak me out uh, like the fate just the design of the doll itself um didn't scare me that much uh and it also doesn't like feel relevant to the episode at all in mm. that like i don't know what they could have done and like it just seems like they could have tied these scary moments in a little better um the mm. carnival barker again like almost scary but it just doesn't quite something about the weird background or something doesn't quite do it for me for me easily the scariest part is the skeleton um and i love that moment and the a big part of it is him getting sucked back 
Um, but I feel like that is it kind of, um, like what we actually, the phys for me, the physical manifestations of the door, uh, just were sort of underwhelming. Um, again, except for the skeleton, uh, I just felt like they could have done something a little more effective with those. Um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, the kid is sort of scary at the end, like the idea of what he can do. But then again, that's undercut by the midnight society after this. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I just feel like the whole way I'm expecting a, something more than what I get. So that's my mm -hmm. problem with it, I guess. Okay. I have a quick question for you, Andrew. Yeah. Um, do you feel Susan from the tale of the doll maker is scary at all? Or do you, oh, yeah. are you, what, what I, do you find her more scary about Susan than the doll that we see here? Because that episode for me in particular, doesn't scare me at all. Wow. Really? I feel, I think yeah. it's something about like the hue, like the simultaneous human and like lifeless nature of Susan. Um, mm -hmm. where she's like, she's, both at the same time so it like creates to me this like uncanny ness that uh okay. it's just like feels unsettling whereas this one i don't know like her face looks like a paper mache puppet or it just doesn't to me quite uh shock me I, like i want to be shocked or something and it doesn't gotcha. quite do it okay yeah i'm just curious um well, for for your episode, I, I I wouldn't describe your to me. I just wouldn't describe your episode as scary. I think it's dreamy, morbid. Well, what's scarier than death? Um, I mean, I find death fascinating. I mean, I, genuinely, I have a lot in common with the character of Chris. Like, I go for walks in cemeteries. I I am pretty pre. I mean, the book I'm reading right now is called the the denial of death. It, I'm pretty preoccupied with death. Um. I don't find death to be, you know, me personally, I find it to be fascinating, interesting. Yeah. Morbid. Um, but in this case, I don't think they play it as just straight scary. It has this like quirky feel more in the vein of like full moon and final wish dreamy. Um, and, and this is like not a knock cause I love, I love full moon. Um, but to me, it's not, an episode that I would rank on any sort of list of like, Oh boy, that shook me. Um, I think it's oh, really, I'm, I think it's yeah. interesting. Mm, go, ahead. Uh, sure. go ahead, Andrew. Uh, I meant to mention, sorry, during mine that uh, dark music did not appear on my scare, either of my scariest lists. Just want to oh, note yeah. that. Well, I said, I said, I, 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 cause I wanted to take credit. Like those were my picks. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so I, you know, Honestly, I probably like laughed more in this episode than I felt scared. Um, that's of course due to Gilbert Gottfried, but um, regardless, you know the category scariness. So um, it does some interesting things. Like I'm not trying to take away from it. I think obviously it pays some respects to Beetlejuice in a way with uh, like the concept of how the afterlife works. There's a waiting room. Um, you know, it all feels kind of quirky, but it feels almost too goofy to be scary. Um, I think there is some effective elements, um, but they weren't scary. They're like, I was sitting there being like, this is interesting to look at, and this is interesting to watch. 
but I wasn't like, uh-oh. In the same way that basements are scary or that these like this idea of being able to kill people with this kind of this evilness um i don't know i i yeah i just your episode to me is interesting and 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 quirky but not not necessarily really scary um side note i do love uh, brett you mentioned i do love that uh the way you're identified as dead is with the 90s slap on bracelet yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if uh, you guys are aware of it, but there's a guy on Instagram that I've actually become good friends with. Uh, he goes by Sardo's Magic Mansion, and he recently did like uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark box for fans of Limited Run. And one of the items uh, in that box, uh, since I bought it, was the Station 109.1 slap bracelet. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. There's like, that one, uh, Zebo's nose, uh, <laughs> the the hand in the jar, believe it or not, was in there. Wow, that was man. really fun. Yeah, that's uh, right. zombie dice, and ah. super specs, and a couple other additional things. So, yeah. if you're not aware of his work, definitely check it out because he's got like a twisted claw and a carved stone replica coming up for Halloween. Oh, Ooh. that's really cool. What's Love his name? It. That's sweet. Uh, Sardo's Magic Mansion. His first name is Brian. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's Just all. <laughs> I think that's all we got. Uh, Br- Brett, do you have anything on scariness that you want to talk about or questions? Um. Yeah, when it when it comes to scariness, oftentimes uh, maybe it's just the way I was wired growing up because my father and my uncle Phil were both giving me the whole one-two punch uh, growing up in my younger years where my dad introduced me to X-Files and Tales from the Crypt and Already Fear the Dark. And my uncle introduced me to uh, horror movies and also like these characters that could or could not be real, or at least that's how he portrayed them to me. Um, when, when I think of scary, I don't necessarily think of like, I, I'm kind of with you on this, Joey, death being scary. I find it more interesting as well, but I do... I do feel a visceral response to seeing those cloaked figures just like yank people back into those doors as Chris is running away from them, feeling that that impending anxiety of, oh, shoot, there's nowhere I can run, as DJ Roy could say. Um, So I got to find a way out or else I'm going to get tossed into the the door to end all doors. (laughs) Um, But in, in that regard, I find it it never it never really left that kind of again visceral response that i kind of have from the dark music cellar door demon with all of his elements trying to lure andy in or get his attention that's more like a like a a deeper shorter spurt of scariness versus uh station 109.1 kind of having this this easy like tide of unnerving uneasy creepy feeling which you know can be scary to many people but for me it, it just falls into the realm of more more interesting like ooh, i want to see what happens next versus you know no get away get get that thing away from me so i, I think they're two different flavors of scariness right. and i i think ultimately my decision for this category will come down to what has a more lasting impression on me okay sure. um can i i was just what do you guys think about this notion so you know let's say coda's dead right let's say he's sucked <laughs> yeah. in the store and he's dead do you think then he ends up in the waiting room with Gilbert Gottfried? Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. 
See, that's an interesting <laughs> thing because I, I know we haven't gotten to music yet, but you, if you listen closely, um, some of the rock music used in dark music is repurposed in station 109.1. Uh, it's, it's on like Stig's boombox, and I think it appears once or twice on the radio when, when Chris or Jamie shuffling through the, the channels. So I think there might be also a tentative connection there in the in the dark earth, as I like to call it, where maybe you know Coda was there before and he got thrown into the afterlife, and is the kind of afterlife that that first guy in the glasses did not want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man, I wish I wish he was like sitting in the waiting room. That would have been oh, that, that would have been an amazing Easter egg. <laughs> I love connecting the threads for these yeah. horror anthologies. Incredible. Next. Um, okay, well, Brett, do you want to do Midnight Society or do you want to do the gimmick of audio music? I feel like if I don't leave Midnight Society for last, then I'm breaking <laughs> tradition. <laughs> so let's go with the audio music gimmick. Sure. Or use of audio. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a tricky category. We always try to like find the connecting um, theme between these type of episodes. I think, you know, this, mm-hmm. the use of sound the use of music to kind of attract whatever the, um, I don't know, whatever the device is, like uh, whatever the scary part is that that's, that's in the same vein. Um, I think what makes my episode unique, uh, in terms of that is that literally, um, music is what leads to the horror. It leads to killing. It leads to terror, you know, terrifying kids, um, it is, it is the kind of the key. It is the thing that unlocks the door. Um, so I think it brings about the horror. Um, both episodes incorporate the use of radios, um, to alter things. Um, mine has a couple different variations on that. Um, I, what I, what makes mine, I think more impactful is that, um, it can be weaponized. So again, mm. that, uh, it's not just kind of a device to tell the story. It's, it is both the thing that is scary or can cause the scariness, but also that my character decides to use it. Um, whether you like how he uses it or not, it's what he uses to kind of wreak havoc. Um, we even in my episode have a named, uh, a character named after a musical term with Coda. Uh, may, some might call it on the nose. I call it a beautiful writing decision by DJ McHale. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, there's a line, uh, that Andy, uh, says in my episode, which is music. It's music. Music. It's music. Music is, it is the key to my episode. It unlocks, <laughs> it unlocks everything. Um, so I think my episode really depends on it. Uh, it is kind of, you know, the name of the episode is dark music. Uh, and, um, I think it's not just a storytelling device, but a, but the thing that makes kind of the episode go. Okay. Um, well, uh, for my episode, um, the idea of this channel at the end of the dial, like beyond the end of the dial. Uh, I just love it. Like something about that makes my, um, 
just like opens my creativity kind of like i feel like it's just very interesting it could go a lot of ways um i just love that whole idea um and then uh attracting the dead using this right or like the lost dead using this radio show um it's not like uh what i like about it is that it's so strange like it's um like it's slightly goofy but it's also uh got this creepy sense to it that you might like run into this station that's for the dead um um i like uh oh uh gilbert godfried's uh dj voice i love very creepy <laughs> and i love this like reveal <laughs> when you see that it's him um, yeah. <laughs> just very cool um and the station is a great setting again like i i love that they go to the station that it is like a sim a both a radio station and crossover point for the dead um and uh i think w- one of the things that makes this like a strong choice in this case i think is that uh the radio was tied into i mean it's both the gimmick but it's also so tied into the story that uh everything that happens is kind of dependent on this radio station um and Mm. it also facilitates like the progression of the story with uh jamie ending up having this favorite radio show so that's the way that they get in touch with each other um it's just like you know, some episodes might just use the item at purely as a gimmick. Like it exists and they do things around that item, but that item could be anything kind of. Um, but in this case, it's like directly tied into what's happening in the story. Um, so, and like, I feel like even the goofiness of it makes it all that more surreal. It's just like this other plane of things going on. Um, sort of in plain sight uh so i think it just um yeah i I don't know i think it's totally necessary and like a foundational part of this story okay um you mentioned that oh sorry brett go ahead um I i was gonna say yeah i i feel like both are pretty well entrenched in terms of their themes of music and radio. Um, I like the diversity that's in station 109.1 a lot because, um, you know, even though we have the, the kind of dirges of funeral organ music constantly playing as an undercurrent for the tale, we also have these like accents and you even have that noise of the static when you're like going past the dial. So it really, it really creates a, a strong audio landscape. Uh, for what you're listening to, even if you like close your eyes for a good portion of the episode, which I appreciate there. Um, and then versus, uh, you know, the use of music as a, as a trigger or a key, as you said, Joey, for dark music, I really find that fascinating as well. Again, it's more like a, like a call and response situation there instead of more of an audio landscape like in Andrew's Tale. But um, I, I do like it using using it as like a device because you wouldn't normally think to use music as a weapon unless you're like watching uh, the tale of the hatching actually 
um, from season two because uh, there was a character in there who like used the loudspeaker of loud music to blow up the dragon's head. But you know, <laughs> it, it's an interesting concept to to use something that you wouldn't normally consider, uh, you know, something as a weapon in in that situation and it can be used for good or evil too it's it's neutral it's not like it's designed to be evil it's just how you use it and i find that i find that open-endedness about the use of the music there really creative um and also they got a good variety of like early 90s tunes as well some like easy listening on that <laughs> yellow boombox and listens to and then you got that mixed in with some like more rock and mega death kind of 80s hair metal um which yeah. is you know, consistent with the tone of the show. So both of them are very strong contenders in this area, I feel, for, for different reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So for Andrew, for your episode, I mean, I just... You mentioned that, like, one of the things you liked is that, like, you ran into the station, but I, it doesn't seem all that difficult to run into it, right? Like, I, I don't... I don't understand what makes what you... the radio station secretive. Oh, I'm assuming you can only see it uh, like once you've heard the the uh, him talking on the radio. Like once no, no, heard... no. But like finding the station on the dial, how, like I don't understand. Oh, it. what? Uh, what do you mean? It seems very simple. Like it would seem like a very simple thing to accidentally do. Oh yeah, but you can only access it like if you're thought to be dead. I mean, it just it's just bizarre to me, like the idea of a station beyond the set stations that exist. And why did he hear it? Um, because well, my interpretation was that uh, because like it was an accident with his brother, like setting off all the electronics on the. Um, in the hearse mixed with the other guy getting lost. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, the thing that kind of bothers me with, uh, the whole station, uh, logic is that it, it apparently works on any radio that Chris touches. So I don't know if that's accessible to Jamie too, if you were to like take Chris's radio and turn it all the way, if someone told him to, um, when I originally watched it, I was kind of hoping it was limited to the hearse like that somehow is the catalyst or the or the gateway to finding the station because it takes people you know that have recently been deceased to the station instead of the graveyard as we may you know normally suspect so um you know i think i think if the the whole radio station was confined to the hearse or just just in a scenario that's more focused on the death instead of like any ordinary object i feel would be um you know stronger than just repeating it whenever he's like at home but at the same time, I could understand that he can access it once he has the slap bracelet on, because I think he does have it on once he like goes back home and listens for the second time. I'm not totally positive, but that would that would justify it for me. But what? So question for I guess anybody. But so J- Jamie can't hear Chris when he's in the kitchen with him, but he can hear him on the radio. Yeah, yeah, that was strange to me too. But I think. Yeah, like how if Chris was able to discover this radio through the hearse, then how is Jamie able able to tap into that as well? Although he was in the hearse when he heard it, so that makes more sense. But then it deals with the the faulty logic of 
listening to on a, any radio versus just the Hearst radio. So that's that's kind of a sticking point for me. Like the um, the rules feel like they should be more structured, but they're they're a little bit loose. They have loose ends here and there. Um, I guess I didn't like think about it that deeply, but my assumption was that you know certain things are only visible or only able to happen like for the dead and that mm-hmm. in the case of the hearse it was like a combination of the hearse malfunctioning um but do you have to be in just, the I hearse mean, to hear dead people my feeling was just that the hearse like being so close to the dead combined with that malfunctioning like was just is acting as a uh bridge between these worlds so oh because so because the hearst is already malfunctioning he can hear chris then yeah okay okay um i mean i don't want to like go crazy on it uh i just think like for your episode I, i don't think it's like the thing people remember about it like i don't think people think i know it's nate called station 109 but like i feel like you know it's about gilbert godfrey it's about kind of the after it's a, it's about the like the waiting room um i don't think like yeah. i don't think it's as crucial as the radio activating my closet um but i don't know what do you what do you what do you what's some stuff yeah you got on your mind um i mean i feel almost the same way about dark music where it's like you for me i remembered the music because the name of the episode um but like once you get in the episode my main gripe is that the music really is just a placeholder for anything that can let um andy control what's behind the door um like it could have really been anything if it's a password Mm. for instance like you could easily substitute it how would you stumble on that though um well, okay. I mean, something he could stumble on. It could be TV, then the TV plays or something. Sure. Um, but you could just say saying, the same for your episode. Uh, not exa- well, a station. I, I guess the problem for me is that um, it. Do you feel like it should be a specific song that triggers the cellar door demon instead of just like generic? Like song that, on the like radio? that. That definitely would have uh, it, it. That definitely would have uh, deepened the story. Like it comes back to that mm-hmm. point that I was talking about earlier with um, the uncle and like mm-hmm. not being kind of fleshed out enough. Like yeah. I yeah. feel like the weakness here is that the music wasn't like just more integral itself to everything that was going on. I mean, like mm-hmm. yes, it was a radio, but what was the radio doing there? Why did he play it? Um, and I don't know. It's just like, it, it just feels like it could have been made a lot deeper, a lot more easily and like served the purpose a lot better, I guess. Um, it it could have even, um, went to like a forbidden station, like station 109.1, where like someone tells him in the neighborhood, Oh, don't don't play that station. They have these songs that come on at night that like cause weird things to happen, and then 
you know, happens to stumble on it when he, he's doing laundry one night and that's what activates it. I think yeah. Yeah. If they, if they gave themselves more time to flesh that out, I definitely agree with you. It would feel, it would, it would strengthen the impact of the device here. Yeah. Um, and it even could have been something like his grandpa was, uh, or his uncle was, um, like really into old radios or something. And there was one mm. particular old radio that was like weird or something, you know, like but, some connection to it. But we know why he has the radios, which is it's what allows the door to do what it needs to do. Yeah, I know. It just feels like it could have been anything. But Again, it wasn't. Like why does it, it need to be music? <laughs> I mean, we could say that literally about anything we're talking about. Like, yes, it could be anything. Sort of. But the choice but was like, music. But like the radio in my story does, like, again, it plays back into the story a lot. In this case, this really could, it just doesn't have to do with anything else. No, it's just like. Your, your story absolutely could have like done anything to pass the message along. It could have been, it could have been TV. It's on the freaking internet. But then um, the entire story would have to change. Why? Whereas, like, this one, almost nothing would have to change if it was just a different object that was controlling the thing inside the door. Mm. Yeah, I think both these tales have some faultiness to the, in terms of, like, using different objects in placement of it, because, you know, dark music, you have that old radio that goes on the fritz, and then station 109.1, you have the Hearst radio, and then it somehow transitions to, like, a more modern one. So I'm not sure like how the logic flows there in terms of like, does it maintain the other otherworldly magic that was in the original device that kind of happens with like Uncle Niles or Daniel Carpenter and transfer that to the other radio that's replacing it? Like, I, I don't know if it's like because it's location based or if it's like character based, but that that's something that, you know, you're kind of even keel on in terms of like having a lack of understanding for how these devices work in these world aside from you know the music or the radio that they emit Mm -hmm. um just to uh expand on that a little also uh just part of uh, another thing that was confusing was like does the type of music do something the are the lights in the uh like maybe the different songs change the solidar demons form maybe that's why maybe it seems like like it might it's just not like totally clear um right you know uh, okay some gripes okay um well should we move on to the final category sure next um uh the midnight society um (laughs) well (laughs) facing his second shot at getting into the midnight society stig has the members use their radios to illustrate that somewhere hidden in the static there could be a signal from beyond the grave. Okay. One, two, three, go. So what did that prove? Every second, every day, there are tons of invisible radio signals flying all around us. Yeah, so? So, with all those invisible signals, there's nowhere to tell if maybe hidden somewhere in the static, there might be a signal coming from some place we never thought of. Like where? Like maybe beyond the grave. 
submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story... The Tale of Station 109.1. Um, I just want to say, I really like the continuity in this one. Like, it goes, uh, continues from the last episode with Stig being up for initiation into the society, but they're not sure totally if they want him to join. Um, but just, just perfect. They could have had him either. They could have had him get in on the first episode, but I like that. They continued that. Um, and after Stig's story, the members of the midnight society huddle to talk it over <laughs> after two near perfect stories. They unanimously <laughs> agree to you let him join. It. Well, like we said, it has to be unanimous. And you're in! Cool. I'll never forget you for this. Ew! Come on, give us a hug. <laughs> no way! Control him or I'll throw you both out. You love me! um i think uh these segments do a lot to develop stig's character and his kind of rocky relationship with the rest of the midnight society um the radio demonstration is effective and adds to the smart story more than most of the intros do i would say um the ending is pretty funny uh stig interrupting the vote with his radio and then dodging Tucker's high five to hug Sam. Um, and she like, you know, pushes him away. Uh, and uh, I felt like this was just like a really satisfying and um, good evolution and conclusion to the whole Stig initiation story. Um, I feel like, you know, it's only a couple minutes long, but they do more in this uh couple minutes than they do in most of these intros Um, it should be said uh, that both of these tales are the last tales told by these two shooting stars Eric Mm. and Stig bright and shiny while they're there but not for long sort of similar characters even in the way they act yeah Outcast. They only tell each of them only tell two tales. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of strange. And it's both their last story. Last for one season. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, in, in mine, uh, we get the uh, we get three Midnight Society segments, as Andrew had mentioned, um, all revolving around the idea that Frank is actually afraid of the dark. Um, he's upset because Eric didn't wait to walk with him to the meeting, and Eric has the flashlight. Um, obviously Frank wants to pulverize Eric, um, who's telling his tale. Um, while everyone else is enjoying the notion that Frank is actually afraid of the dark, um, sans our sweet angel, Betty Ann. Um, she's trying to comfort Frank that, you know, everybody's afraid I'm gonna make of you eat this. What's the big deal? Well, you see. All right. Just forget it. Poor Frankie lost his flashlight. Let it go, Eric. And what? And he's afraid of the dark. What? Not Mr. Tough Stuff. It's okay. I get scared in the dark sometimes, too. I'm not afraid of the dark. I just wasn't sure I could find the clearing without a flashlight. 
You're gonna pay for this man. Well, don't kill him yet. He's telling the story tonight. Yeah, it's a good one. There's a little boy in it who's afraid of the dark. Oh, you're dead meat. Sit down, Frank. Don't be strange. No, I'll stand. Just tell the story. Well, everyone knows that there's nothing in the dark that can hurt you. Most of the time. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story... The Tale of the Dark Music. Um, so that's, that's kind of the opening premise. Um, after our first closet scare, uh, we, get, we find out that Frank has literally gone missing. Boogeyman in the basement. I love it. Uncle Niles may be dead, but he's not forgotten. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. You okay, Frank? Frank? Where'd he go? I didn't see him leave. He couldn't take it. I told you he was chicken. Keep going. He'll come back. Um, they think he's perhaps too afraid and has left. Um, which has to be the first, I'm guessing the only time a member leaves during the tale, um, if, which is, uh, if nothing else, interesting. Um, and then the tale ends uh, and they realize Frank has taken Eric's flashlight and Eric is stranded alone, now being mocked uh, for him being afraid of the dark. Um, Frank then pops out for his payback, scaring Eric. Um, I am not afraid of the dark. Not afraid of dog. Frank! Frank, let's go! It's getting late! Come on! Not afraid of the dog. Not afraid of the dog. <laughs> Paybacks are sweet! <laughs> and, uh, so that that's kind of the, the core here is of being what are people afraid of, of course. In this case, being afraid of the dark. Um, we literally get the title of the show here, Andrew. The titular line. <laughs> titular, Andrew. Um, Who says it? <laughs> I definitely think it helps link uh, the story better than a lot of stories do to the opening. Like I think like uh, the Midnight Society segment here connects you know, pretty concretely to what's about to come as far as being, what, what are people afraid of darkness and the unknown? Mm. Um, I think the segments are pretty quick paced. I, I really like when the midnight society is kind of joking and going back and forth with one another. I like that Frank here is a little bit of the punching bag, uh, as he's, you know, uh, you know, you just get a little tighter Frank. So, uh, and it feels like a actual development of the Midnight Society. Like, this is them kind of growing and being friends and arguing and having fun. And um, there's, like, a twist in there with Frank. Um, and, uh, like I said earlier, it just really feels like this is, the th like, the thesis statement for the show. Like, this Midnight Society segment actually is getting at something. Um, just as a little trivia, we do learn in the Midnight Society segment in Dangerous Soup that Frank is indeed afraid of the dark. Um, so um, I liked it. It's it's like really playful. It feels like it actually like should have either been the first episode of the series or the last of the first season. It feels like very 
important to what the show is trying to get at. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved it. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I got to disagree here. Uh, <laughs> I bet you do. I thought, it, I thought <laughs> yours was barely related to the story at hand. Um, it has nothing at all to do with music. Um, Eric is just kind of annoying while Stig is annoying just to the Midnight Society. Like, I feel like Eric's hostile to the audience as well. Um, the middle segment is totally unnecessary except to take up time. I mean, they easily could have addressed Frank being gone at the end. Be like, hey, word Franco. No, they don't need that extra segment. Um, the... Oh man, I really hate how the end segment ruins the sister gag at the end of the episode by um, saying that the kid didn't feed her to the thing. Not that, you know, not that I even hate it either way. I just want it to be like open-ended. And the end finally, I just felt like was drawn out and just ultimately not worth the final moment. Um, Eric's like sitting there in his seat, like getting scared for way too long. And then Frank, I guess, scares him by putting his hand on his shoulder. It was just, it felt like that should have been a much bigger scare. These are um, what, this is what friends do. He, I, yeah. Okay. But he would have really, I mean, in real life, you'd really scare the person, not just put your hand on his shoulder. Ah, he, he didn't even scream. Yeah, he should have come up from behind. You should have seen like maybe his hands coming up oh, around his shoulders. Oh boy, what a stickler! Something. <laughs> oh, give me a break. Maybe kids are more scared in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more easily scared, I should say. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even feel like Eric got scared enough. He just like suddenly took off before he could show his scared acting chops. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like this was one of the more throwaway midnight societies oh, wow. except for no, except lying. for the <laughs> using the line that's the only thing uh which is important uh you know sort in, of. In, in regards to like them i i mean i i knew you were going to mention them bringing up the sister at the end but this feels yeah, so so literally like a note from nickelodeon like absolutely i have no <laughs> doubt in my mind that an executive Maybe. at nickelodeon went you can't end the episode like that um and they so you Maybe. know it's 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 uh i think it's to soften the blow a little bit but again it's not like in your episode your kid is dragged off to hell or something um so the fact <laughs> the fact that they even give us a taste of what might happen i still think outweighs um you know betty ann having to soften the blow here of for eight-year-olds being like oh my god did he just kill his sister um so i think i think it's like you know it's uh no, that's so, no good. What do you, it definitely would have been better without it. What, what do you? But do you think Nickelodeon was going to allow that? I, I, well, I'm just saying. I'm sure they wanted. I'm sure, I'm sure they wanted him freeing his. I'm freeing his bug out of a jar. But you know, you got a kid with a black eye staring into the abyss, smiling his crazy ass off. Here's here's my question for both of you guys. Um, how would you improve the other person's Midnight Society segment? Mm, good question. 
Because I feel like you make a lot of compelling arg arguments why the other one is trash. So well, I, have, I, 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 I haven't, I haven't, I haven't made my argument yet. But um, okay. Well, so let, Andrew, you can answer, and then I'll give my argument because there's uh, it talks a little bit about what I think the problem with yours is. Um. Okay. Well, I. I mean, the main thing I would have done was uh, relate it back to the music of the story. I mean, if the music is so important that it's in the title, um, it's it's like the same thing I would have done with the episode. Is just like, uh, get deeper with the purpose of the music and like the way music maybe uh has the power to, um somewhat hypnotize you something like that something about the power of music okay so like would you imagine eric walking with a sony walkman to the meeting and be like to betty ann yeah this is a really catchy song and then she like hates the music it grates her ears and then tie that in as a point that i mean that sounds music isn't appealing to everyone. <laughs> that sounds reasonable <laughs> okay. um okay you know i i just like would do something they would either bring something or he would just talk about music, like talk about his favorite song or something and be like, isn't that interesting right. how music has the power to like change you or mm. something like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely see validity in that. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't think your like segment knocks out of the park with music. I mean, he's holding a radio at one point, but um, yeah. Yeah. But um, well, you know, I mean, your Midnight Society segment to me is just a real like snoozeville. Um, this <laughs> l let's let's just get a couple things clear here. This isn't even Stig's real initiation. This is just some lazy writer stuff where Stig has to try again. Lazy. Oh yeah, they're just prolonging the inevitable here. It's the most brilliant thing they've done in Midnight Society no. history. <laughs> no, he he's told. He, okay, he told the tale of Dead Man's Float. So if you've seen Dead Man's Float, there's nothing to even gain from this entire segment. It's just like a rehash. Like, okay, well, here's this new kid. He's going to tell another one. If you don't get in on Dead Man's Float, you like, you know, that's just ridiculous. They thought maybe this guy was a one-off. You know, they don't want to risk or, this horrible character. Or the writers, or the writers were like, we could just run this back. Um, it's is, just more than they do with most of these. I know, but there's like, nothing original. Like we've story. we've literally what? we've seen this Midnight Society segment. It, like we what are do you mean? two episodes before this, they have done this. They, oh no, they're totally different. Oh my lord! What what makes this even worse is if you haven't seen the tale of Dead Man's Float. This opener makes no sense. Um, I know this because mm -hmm. I was sitting next to someone and they went, "What is even happening here?" And I went, "Oh, he already told a." story but they're making him tell it again and they went how would i know that and I went, well any I fan know. worth their salt is gonna watch <laughs> these episodes in order i know it's not gonna be a problem what i'm saying here is we have a total rehash it's confusing if you don't know if you it's confusing if you don't know the background here uh it's there's just nothing to gain from it uh and <sighs> it, it like it might let stig in the society if he tells another tale it, its impact is negligible. Like it, it, he never even tells another tale. Um, so it just feels like why go through all this work for a kid who's never going to tell another story or be on another season. It's just like, it feels kind of worthless. Um, I, oh, do I, yeah. do I love the midnight society? <laughs> of course. 
but do I think this segment gives us anything that we hadn't seen? Very literally, no. Like we've seen that's it. two episodes. That's prior. insane. That's crazy. It's totally first sane. of all, it's one prior. Secondly, uh, uh, we saw him for the first time in the previous episode, but we get even more of him. I thought this was brilliant uh, that they did this that they extended the midnight society into the next episode that they gave us a reason to like, uh, have to consider whether state could be an official member or not. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought, I thought it was great. There is also, a, there, no, there is also, just so, just so we're clear, there is an episode yeah. between these two. Oh, what yeah, is it? Good sign. which, oh, which means like, you're just literally like, okay, wait, what's happening with this kid who just told the tale? Uh, well, we'll tell Jagged Sign first. Um, it just. It, <laughs> well, that was just uh, obviously yeah, an error of. Uh, error agreed. In, uh, agreed. Uh, I, I want everybody to. Andrew said that's an error. Yes. In schedule. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the episode. Okay. Um, he, he does have a bag on his head then, so maybe it was an order intended, and they just made it like a trilogy of Stig's initiation. Oh. That's what I remember oh. Saying. Yeah, that's even better. Um. <laughs> But also, I think the best moment in either of these is easily uh, the Stig high five to Tucker and then um, <laughs> hugging Sam. Like, I thought that was borderline sexual harassment, but uh, I did enjoy <laughs> how it, how it like, paid off in the same way because obviously he repulses all the women in the yeah, society. Yeah. So he's just further like cementing his status as like the gross kid that wants to go near except Tucker. I'm with you, Brett. It, it works and it doesn't work at the same time. I'm with you, Brett. Harassment <laughs> market. <laughs> um, okay. Well, That's so, probably why you didn't return for season six. <laughs> so, so we feel pretty much the same way. Like you don't feel mine is very useful. I think yours is not useful. Uh, yeah. In hmm. either way, it's, their... it's both kids' last story. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting that um, Stig's uh, first and last story were at the beginning of yeah. season five yeah. when he made his appearance, and then Eric's was like near the end of season one. So I'm I'm not sure how that really affects them as like a storyteller or the overall Midnight Society arc. I just thought that was a unusual observation. Yeah, yeah, definitely weird. Um, I mean, I definitely, it, it seems like these Midnight Society segments, I think maybe it's why it's they're, they're so fun to talk about. It, they seem just very randomly conceived. Um, yeah. You know, like, I think they probably plotted these out and then tried to make them work for the stories. Um, but uh, I think that's what makes them so kind of quirky and <laughs> exciting to argue. Next! All right. Well, that rounds out the five categories. Uh, Brett, it's time to make a decision if you want to go kind of category by category here and just kind of give us your your call. We, of course, will, yeah. will accept whatever your decision is. All righty. Um, so uh, pedaling back to story, uh, ultimately, I gave this one a tie because I felt that both of them make a very strong case for their topic. You know, you got the 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 radio show from beyond the grave and you know the cellar door demon that's triggered by music and they're both very unique tales within the Ari for the dark universe in general so um you know it's it's neat that we get to see them together but i feel like they can both stand on their own um even if they are compared to something else just because of the the premise of that and 
you know, I both, I enjoy both of these tales, you know, pretty darn equally. I love revisiting them. They still feel fresh to me, you know, close to 30 years later. So I felt like both deserve their, their due worth in this round with one point each. Okay. Wow. Oh boy. Unexpected. Uh, makes me nervous. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. <laughs> for for characters, uh, I actually gave this one to Station 109.1, uh, mainly because I felt both uh, Chris's performance and DJ Roy's performance were very strong. You know, it's it's hard not to watch the episode without being drawn in by, by their performances. Uh, they kept me engaged throughout the entire tale. Um, I felt all of Gilbert Gottfried's uh, dialogue was brilliant, and some of it was even ad-libbed. Uh, particularly the "I'm dead. What do I need money for to buy gum?" I thought that was just you know, just gets you know, brilliant. And you know, even if he does have um, you know more of a comedic background like Bobcat Goldthwait, it, his celebrity status doesn't detract from him being in the tale. In fact, you know, his presence really adds to this whole afterlife processing people thing. Especially when he mentions like he used to work for the Department of Motor Vehicles when he was alive, and I. He, you know, he really steals the show there. Um, uh, with, with dark music, it came down to the fact that I, I do like most of the characters. I think uh, Christina Little Sister is kind of a throwaway character. I wish she was more of a nuisance to justify the the ending. Uh, I, I like Coda's comparison to Roger Klotz. That was great, but I didn't feel like ultimately he was uh, threatening enough fully to justify his demise. Wish I saw more of Coda's dad, Hulk Hoagie, because that would have been interesting <laughs> to see. How, like, there are parallels between his his parent, single parent, and Andy's single parent in terms of how they support their kids within the tale. And the Celador demon is great. Um, I really love the gimmicks, but I wanted I wanted a little bit more development behind each of the elements that come out of it. So when I made this decision, I even surprised myself because I love I love the spookiness of of the character itself, the villain. But I feel like uh, Gilbert's presence throughout the episode is just a hair more prominent. Uh-huh. Uh, so I get station 109.1 for that. Okay. Uh, as for what was next, scariness? Yeah. Yeah, as for scariness, um, you know, for me, <laughs> me, this was no contest. I got to give it to dark music because typically when I'm frightened and uh, scary episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark stick with me. It's usually like the jolting imagery after like periods of calm versus like the even uneasiness. Um, I, I do appreciate the the creepy tone of Station 109.1 a lot. Um, it definitely feels very balanced. It feels very alluring, kind of ethereal even with how it's like leading you into the station along with Chris. But I never felt like that sense of danger and urgency I felt immediately when I saw the cellar door demon. Um, it also doesn't help that I also was afraid of basements growing up because my dad used to play pranks on me where he locked me in the basement in the dark. <laughs> and after seeing this episode, it made me believe that demon was hiding in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> and even, even as unbiased as I want to be, I can't shake that. So um, for, for the memorability alone and the trauma that I had to deal with, um, I'm giving it to dark music. It's mm. It's... I think it's brilliant in the Stephen King's sense, as uh, Joey said. Uh, so next for the the music gimmick, uh, I also gave this one a tie as well because they do each of their unique 
situations um, also very well, but different. Um, the, the music is also tied, as I was saying before, because they're very unique in their in their delivery. I really love the gimmick of the radio station going beyond the dial because I always wondered that as a kid, like if I crank it all the way one way or the other, where is it going to lead me? And um, while while I don't really buy into the whole idea that the, the station is like something that only appears when you're dead because it just seems like it's in broad daylight. I know you kind of have to use your more of your imagination to believe that same with like the ghostliness of the of the the wandering dead as we put it um but i really enjoyed the like even dirge of of the you know funeral music the organ music and the accents that it creates mixed in with like that staticky radio sounds that they use um so that works pretty well um and then for dark music's favor i really love the variety of the music that's used um on on the radio that andy plays in the basement I know it's not like a typical forbidden song and you die type of scenario, which would would probably enhance the story. But I think it's just fine with like, you know, the music, the concept, the music itself within this confined space works um, to, to make the, the gimmick of the the door demon plausible. Like if this were happening in an attic or out outside in a field or somewhere, maybe it wouldn't work because it's it's in like that open public setting where you, you just it doesn't fly, but in like a creepy dark basement where like things aren't always working, you know, the old radio got fried, you know, there's something off kilter here, especially with uncle Niles's uh, disappearance. Yeah. So that that's pretty even for me. Dark music is more like wild and varied. And then station 109.1 is just an even undercurrent of like dread and death. Ooh. And, um, Oh my yeah. gosh. So now Andrew, are you clutching your desk chair? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> for, for for the Midnight Society segments, um, yes. you know, as it always happens, it comes down to this. I think you I sealed mean, your face yeah. for the rest of the verses of Art for the Dark. Oh, the my Midnight. God. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, uh, perfect. it's perfect. It, it, comes, it comes down to not only the character, the delivery of the opening segment to set the tone of the story, um, and also like how it connects to the bigger themes of are you afraid of the dark? But in the end, this one just inched out like one notch for me because of the connectedness. I have to give it to dark music just because uh, it asks the titular question, are you afraid of the dark? It poses that. It would have served as the perfect season finale or season premiere for season one. And it also gets addressed in the tale of the dangerous soup when Frank actually admits he's afraid of the dark <laughs> and Kiki slaps like a high five to Betty Ann, which just, I love the, those kind of continuity details when they show up later in an overarching series. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really like, just just to be fair, even though I went with dark music, I really like the how um, Stig opened his tale. He had a more thought out dialogue than Eric, which is more sparse, but at the same time, the sparseness of Eric's um, dialogue really lends to the mystique and mystery that goes along with, um, you know, dark music and the cellar door demon. Uh, the one, the one thing that did put me off is, uh, is Stig just going straight for Stan and like, doesn't matter if you're Gary's girl, you're mine now. <laughs> just did not make me uncomfortable. I mean, it did make me feel uncomfortable. And if I was in that midnight society with Stig, I'd be like Gary, be like control him or throw him out because, you know, we have standards here and we're 
We're here to tell spooky stories, not make people feel uncomfortable to be here. So in the end and all things considered, you guys had a very tough, tough battle. And I appreciate both sides of uh, the arguments, but in the end, dark music edges out by a notch. Oh, and that is uh, four to three total. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I can't uh, begrudge your reasoning. Very well thought out. And, um, you know, I, I got I to accept the loss. <laughs> You're yeah. injured. You, you, brought, you brought a great game, Andrew. Yeah, so. thank you. Thank for, you. Sure, for sure. I feel like you're really gaining. So you were on a two-game winning streak here. Um, coming, <laughs> coming off of Guardian's Curse versus Silent Servant and Doug Rocks versus Doug's Hot Ticket. Um, mm. So I, I really feel like you're, you're, you've got your game down, Andrew. I'm like, I'm starting to get nervous here. Good. good. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I, I feel like I'm having to work harder than I've ever like. I'm like, oh god, I don't, I don't know what he's coming at me with. Um, I I really loved your points though, Joey, because I I definitely was nodding my head in agreement with a lot of the ones that you made for like in defense of dark music. Yeah. So you're not you're not slow either. Um, Thanks. I just think Station 109.1 is a little bit more of a cerebral tale with like layers of spookiness to it versus dark music goes for the, the full on wild ride of scares. Right. Yeah. And I think they're both respectable in that sense. No doubt. Yeah. Both, both um, great episodes. Yes, Definitely. for sure. They're both really good ones. Um, I, I, I honestly like let most of these um, story issues with dark music or with a uh, 109.1 just like pass over me. I mean, I guess like as soon as it becomes like a supernatural tale in my head, I'm like letting go of all. Um, I think what I think like, when it's your episode, like you're more prone to do that. Like I think you just watch it. Yeah, like, and are you afraid of the true. dark? You know what I mean. Yeah. Right. But then you always, the one you're going against, you're always like, all right, what can I kind of thread? Yeah, here? Um, <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, I I legit I love Station 109.1. Like I I was loving it. Um, do you guys do you guys want to rate rate these episodes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's start. Let's start um, with Station One Hundred Nine Point One. Yeah, uh, I gave it a four and a half out of five. Okay. Um, love the episode. Uh, I've again like pacing is just a huge uh, issue for me in some episode or like just things in general. So mm-hmm. I feel like these episodes that are paced like really fast uh i really tend to love um but of course Kilbert godfried i love i just like love the whole like fantasy of this episode um this the radio station the idea of the afterlife like this weird door i like that imagery um there's just so much about this episode that i love uh the only thing i even knocked it for was um what you mentioned a couple times was uh the like wraparound story with the kid like mm. where he ends up being it does feel like <laughs> okay i no longer am interested in weird yeah. stuff and i'm yeah, gonna let's go play, play baseball now yeah yeah <laughs> that's pretty jarring yeah. <laughs> um, in, a, yeah, in a way in a way in a way that's even darker than the way my episode ends <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh no he's a normal boy now <laughs> damn it we lost another we lost another goth kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah so that felt a little 
off. But uh, besides that, like I, I just love this one. Uh, it's yeah. such a fun one and cool looking. It's like no again, there's like no, there's not a moment that I was not entertained during it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. What, uh, Brett, what did you give Station One Hundred Nine Point One? Uh, it's actually pretty up there too. Um, I gave it four point seven five out of five, wow. and when it came down to it, I just really love that that whole atmosphere that it built up. It, this kid feels very un, unnatural with his obsession with death. Um, I, I enjoyed the aesthetic of the interior of this of the of the like afterlife station, like with all the crazy doors and the and the cloaked figures, and especially that that afterlife door with the the faces and the insects mm-hmm. and the dirt on it that was great uh definitely visual very visual appealing maybe even a tad more so than dark music um but i did have to knock it for believe it or not ryan gosling's performance because oh. i felt like he was just <laughs> thrown in there rather than being you know more against uh chris and i felt like you know he, he's been around also in say cheese and die for goosebumps and i felt like his performance was a little more engaging there maybe because he was the main protagonist among like a group of three kids, but his, his smugness was just too much for me to handle in this one. So I knocked it for that and some of the, the logic of how the station actually works or how to find people with that or how to like stay tuned into it once you're like considered dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think we're all in like kind of the same area here. I gave uh, station 109.1 a four and a half. Um, just a delightful episode. I'm you, you come for like the kind of fun horror you stay for Gilbert Gottfried. Um, I think the, I like, I Beetlejuice is one of my favorite movies. I love the idea of like a waiting room for the dead. Um, with the door of like, you know, you're either going to the good place or the bad place. Um, it is, I think pretty ingenious to have a radio station in the afterlife calling for the dead i think the way I, I do think the way they handle it is like a little bungled it's like not quite as seamless as it appears um and i do think ryan like i wasn't just trying to be hard on it i think ryan gosling is really bad in this episode um, <laughs> um so it, it the ending is again not not my favorite um but it's I, production wise i'm i'm I'd be interested to like really think about this, I, which I, cause I haven't, but it's just one of, I think the better made episodes, um, like laughing. It reminds me like a little bit of laughing in the dark where it really feels like they spent some time fleshing it mm-hmm. and like getting the world mm-hmm. right. Um, so I, I think it's, it's quite something as far as uh, a production of, are you afraid of the dark of a show that probably was getting like very little money to be made. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have to add that that line at the ends where like Daniel Carpenter is ascending a staircase beyond the door. Mm. Some some reason that makes me feel like heartfelt feelings oh, for yeah. him, like he's yeah. better that everything's resolved and it makes you think a little bit about your life. Like it doesn't all have to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um that is comforting amidst all the all the chaos that's going on in the episode and I, I appreciate it for that memorability in the moment, along with like all the Gilbert Gottfried quotes that he's sputtering. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, what about dark music? Um. Yeah, dark music. I gave a four point two five out of five. Okay. Um, I think 
it's a great episode. I really love it. Um, I feel like I, the only reason I even knocked it this much is because I feel like it's still kind of um, a little rough around the edges in places, probably just due to it being an early episode. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel like so much of it, again, could have been fleshed out a little bit more in certain directions. But, you know, these are not huge gripes. Um I love most of it. Uh, even like, you know, I was making fun of Coda, but he, there is something um, interesting about him in the very least <laughs> um, as a bad guy. He's yeah. a character. <laughs> um, and, you know, the scariness of this episode, I have to admit, is pretty high. Uh, I do, you know, I was complaining about some of the apparitions, but really they're all cool and it's a really cool idea. And I, of course, love that skeleton. Um, oh, yeah. It's just so... And yeah, oh, his voice yeah. is so good. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of ridiculous, but it's so good, too. Um, and really, like, the idea of the kid, like, using this for his own gain is uh, pretty great. Yeah. Um, and, and and also that light mm. on his face at the end is yeah. really good, too. Yeah, um, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- and you know, I think th- this episode it feels like a necessary episode in that it's about a sort of on the surface simple fear for a kid of going into the basement and being in that dark place where you don't know where anything what's down there. Um, so um, yeah, really strong one. Awesome, mm-hmm. Brett. What do you think? Well, you know me, guys. The scary the better. I love monsters in Are Afraid of the Dark. Uh, same goes for X-Files and Goosebumps for that matter. Yeah. Um, I got to give this a five out of five. Yeah. And I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, I feel like you should, you guys should have me on for like episodes that I deliberately hate. So I'm not <laughs> always coming on to praise every episode I do because I've given a five to Mel Carrie Mona, Wacky Deli, and maybe one other. Uh, SpongeBob's movies didn't yeah. quite make it that high, but you know, I, I don't want to seem too biased in, in my... Uh, celebrating all these great episodes, but really it, it is a great episode for me. It above all of them. Um, you know, this is like top five tier ma- material for me where it just constantly lasts with me. The imagery of the, the rickety wooden door that can like open up triggered by music. It, it made me wonder more about the story beyond the story um, more than most are you afraid of the dark tales kind of like laughing in the dark in the sense, like, mm. you know, well, what would it have been like to see Uncle Niles first meeting the Celador demon? Or what's Andy like in modern day now that he's fully corrupted by the the contract between him and the Celador demon? Like, does he suffer the same fate where maybe the Celador demon uh, mm. reveals his true form to him and maybe devours him for breaking that contract? We don't know, but I love exploring that kind of headspace um, just to see how else it could go go further with the concept. So I got to give it for that, for just playing on my imagination and being in alignment with like some stuff I dealt with as a kid. And it's just very rewatchable for me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel better, Brett, we, we all gave male carrier Mona a five. It was a perfect episode. Um, And you, and you, and you did uh, sponge goes to the movies. You gave a 4.9. So not, not all fives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you have me on for say like, 
Journey of Alan Strange <laughs> or like Shelby Blue sure, or sure. maybe some Alex Mack at Wienerville, I'd be happy to listen to those with a lower score. Um, I just don't want listeners to get the impression that I'm like being wimpy with no. my ratings because I, I do try to uh, rate them fairly and also justify why they are all so high because I'm a connoisseur of menus, Nick, like you. Yeah, are. for sure. No, you've just been on some good episodes. That's all. Um, gotcha. Yeah, well, I gave this, I gave Dark Music a 4.75, almost perfect. Um, I love it. It's it's just always been one of the episodes that scares me the most, uh, just the idea of it. It's, like I said, really simple. I, I kind of really stick to that. Like, it feels like Stephen King in the Are You Afraid of the Dark universe. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. just got kind of that feel to it, a retro horror telling. Um it is like a little rough around the edges. I think you're right, Andrew. Like I think the early, you know, first season, probably early in production, it feels a little bit like they're still grappling with some things, but um, I loved it. it. It gets, it mainly gets the knock because of the interruption of the midnight society in the middle of the episode. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't, I still like the midnight society segments, I I'm just traditionally not a fan of the, the when they throw that third segment in. And the weird thing is they don't like do it on episodes that are bad. It, you, some of the best episodes of the series have that one in the middle. And I don't know what the thinking is there um, because uh, I, I do know from a fact in researching it, that it was like a format thing. So they did it for all of season one. And then after the tale of the midnight madness, they dropped it once they were, like securing their place in Nickelodeon on mm. the on the programming block, um, so actually uh, Locker Twenty Two is the first one that doesn't feature that middle segment and hmm. it continues that pattern throughout. Oh boy, maybe they should have stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, would have been interesting in season three. Yeah, so I, I I didn't love that aspect, but otherwise this is just a, to me a very very memorable episode. Um, some stuff that really sticks with you. So loved it. I'm very happy we've gotten to both these episodes. I, I definitely would not have yeah. wanted to do the pod without letting these two slip by. So, um, yeah. yeah. Should we definitely. Should we name the episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, for the tale of Station 109.1, I called it the tale of dead air oh Ooh. that's what i called it whoa what <laughs> that's interesting because um i had three titles uh for each of these and one of them was like deathly static so we're all like in the similar vein there wow <laughs> yeah cool but that's not my choice that's just one. Oh, okay okay <laughs> my bad my bad so yeah, yeah, so yeah. what did you go with brett uh, I went with the tale of the grave airways. Ooh, mm. that sounds cool too. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, yeah, I like the flow of it. Now I'm trying to think of something else. Um, the tale of dead air. Um, uh, man, I had another one, and I uh, radio erased it. Maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll, how about this? I'll go with yeah. the tale of the dead dial. Okay. Just Ooh. some, <laughs> I like just some alliteration. It's radio connected and. We don't have to have the same one then. Um, yeah. Cool. Wow. Okay. And then so for... The first, oh, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, is that the first time we've had an exact match? No, we had an exact match, I think, twice before. We had one on 
Uh, I know for sure we had it for Hey Arnold. Oh, what's it called? Um, I'm looking. Oh, door door 16. We both called it What's in the Box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <I'm not too. laughs> and then, oh, you know what? Me and Melissa had the same one for the switching hour, which was Prick Your Feet. Uh, Ooh, um, that was a good one. And I want to say maybe one more time, but I'm not sure. But yeah, it's pretty rare. Pretty rare. The, 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 hmm. um, okay, well, what about Dark Music? Yeah, Dark Music, I, I called The Tale of the Basement Boy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you couldn't think of anything without like music or dark in the title. <laughs> yeah. Not that that's oh, really? not that you can't include those. I'm just like, you know. Uh yeah, I have three of them. I'll mention it after like my choice. Okay. Um, but I ultimately chose the tale of the Doom Tunes. Hmm. Ooh, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, Doom Tunes. Yeah, because every time music comes on, yeah. it spells someone doom. <laughs> And then my my backups were uh, the tale of the demon's delight mm-hmm. and the tale of creepers in the closet. Oh, mm. cool! Yeah, like those. But Doom Good Tunes, ones. I think, is the right choice. Thanks. Yeah, it feels dreadful, yeah. like the imagery that we see in the tale. Yeah. Um, well, I called the tale of the dark music the tale of the carnivorous cellar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He likes to eat people. I'm digging it. Um, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Andrew, what were your two? Um, the tale of dead air and the tale of the basement boy. <laughs> I, lo- I don't know. Bas- <laughs> basement boy really tickles me. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett, what do you? Basement boy. Um, I had the tale of the grave airwaves and the tale of the doom tunes. Yeah, that's cool. And I had the tale of the tale of the dead dial, and the tale of the carnivorous cellar. Uh, we'll post those as always. You guys can vote. Um, I don't know the results of our earlier ones because, uh, you know, I, <laughs> let's just say it's not October yet when we're recording this. Um, but it is right. It is. <laughs> I said we're time traveling. That's right. That's right. We're kind of going back and forth. Um, yeah, kind of like Doctor Who. <laughs> okay, so Andrew, Podtober continues. The spookiness continues. What are we talking about next? Uh, as Podtober continues, next time we're talking the Angry Beavers, the day the Earth got really screwed up. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. I When's the last time we talked Angry Beavers? Oh, Beaver man. Fever? Jeez. Oh, man. That might have... I mean, I guess that was it. Yeah. I don't think we've talked another That's four early episodes. BOC. That's real early BOC. <laughs> um, okay, well, then we're definitely due. It's a, good, it's a good Halloween... It's a good Podtober episode for sure. Um, yeah. I haven't... I, ha- I don't know if I've ever seen it in full so this might really be like my inaugural I, like I'm aware of the episode I'm aware of how they look yeah. I've got like these vinyl figures from the episode but uh, it'll be exciting because I really not sure I know it yeah I recall I've, seeing it as I've a kid it. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I, I watched it growing up and like you Andrew and I saw it recently it's it's really fun if you're like into che- cheesy B horror movies because oh, cool. yeah. it really plays off that theme that's 
kind of present in other Angry Beavers episodes when they like watch TV late at night. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Be good. Um, well, lots more Podtober coming at you. Uh, stay tuned. Stick with us. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, we'll read your letter in November uh, or whatever you want to say. You can get us get at us uh, at Twitter at BOC Podcast, Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast. You can email us at um, orangecouchpodcast at gmail.com. You can hear us on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. Leave a review. That helps other people find us. And Brett, where can people find you? Yeah, um, you can find me at Brett Wilson Art on Instagram. That's where I mainly hang out. Also have a Facebook page, um, same name. And I actually started a podcast recently called Splat Attack. So if you're interested in more like a deeper dive esoteric uh, look at late 80s, early 90s Nickelodeon, you can check that out too. Awesome. It's a great episode, guys. Yeah. And uh, we'll see all you wandering dead next time. Oh my god, the tension here is we've never had a judge. I know, I'm speaking too. I'm like, I'm, even if I lose here, I'm like chomping my nails. Yeah, Seriously. don't don't come after me in pitchforks after this one. I'm trying to be fair as possible. Don't y'all want to have some fun?